Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to another episode of Remap Radio. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and this is episode 10, a decade of Remap Radio for August 4th, uh, 2023. God, I hope not. (laughs) Today we have uh, Ricardo Contreras. Hi. Patrick Klopik. I'm still here 10 years later, and I I still look 17. (laughs) There's, There's a portrait of you somewhere, Patrick. Mm. And Renata Price. I saw a story recently about uh, bars using facial recognition to tell people's ages, and Patrick was the first person I thought about. <laughs> was being like, oh, he's a, he's fucked. I'm waiting, <laughs> for, the, he's I'm waiting for the... Fucked. Like, a wrinkle's gotta come in or something. Like, my dad didn't get... Like, he passed away, uh, you know, at 58, and he only had a couple of great hairs my brother has a bunch of them so i don't i i don't even have that someday someday but my wife it doesn't my wife likes getting her id checked and so i provide that service by looking <laughs> like a youth and so it's it's um it's working out so far nice i was about to say you could just dye some of the hairs you know gray and get, yeah other people there. are spending <laughs> lots of money to hide their gray hair i'm stressed that i don't look old enough and i'm i'm i'm, I'm blasting <laughs> You give yourselves like the Mitt Romney, like just like put, put a little bit of <laughs> oh, steel in those temples. Oh, no, you got to be really careful, though, because otherwise you, people are going to think that you're a couple of kids in a trench coat. And then like at that point, you're you're wrapping. If you do too much, if it becomes too costumey, you wrap back around again. Well, look, next time uh, that we're in person doing something, if we want to buy some uh, some hair supplies and like, mm. let's see. Can I thought we... you were just going to leave it at hair. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see if we can gray me up. Let's see what happens. Right. Old timey. Who's Patrick. going on the hair run? <laughs> uh, you know, actually, though, I've been I've been going on a few runs myself lately. Mm. Uh, I've been playing the Banished Vault, uh, which is a new game from Lunar Division, published by Bithel Games, and it is. What's the, what's the best way to describe it? Let's start let's start with the aesthetics. Uh, the aesthetics are very much like destiny map and destiny grimoire Hmm. like that's a little reductive but i would say that like i think i think it's a fair description of the vibe of the the artwork and the map kato wouldn't wouldn't you bungee gothic yeah that's a good that's a good way of saying it um i think specifically the like illustrations are a lot of um excuse me very um what's it called um you know, uh, dry points, uh, like prints, print, like kind of prints making or woodblock prints esque 
Yeah, which yeah. Is a, a style I, I almost that, said charcoal, but it's clearly not. It it doesn't have the right it's got, like look for charcoal. Yeah, it's, it's got, got more color scheme. It's got more of that lines to create um, darkness, specifically in like yeah. thin lines sort of way that looks more like a printmaking technique. Um, that like yeah, a lot of there were some uh, a, a fair amount of the cutscenes that uh, Bungie has made that aren't full 3D when they like still want to tell a story. Those illustrations look exactly like that as well. But um, it also yeah, and then the and then the yeah. Well, I was gonna say it. It also like has a very like. I'm trying to think of what exactly the 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 vibe. It's not quite art. Uh, it's not quite Art Deco, but something Gothic is 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 close to it. But it's something about the like line and weight of like the little map that we have that is just kind of a yeah. bunch of lines connecting uh kind of perpendicularly to one central line. Um, yeah, it's the 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 map has a vibe i just i yeah. can't quite put my put my finger on it but the the aesthetic here is is all in service of a game where you are leading this group of uh gosh the, it's they're they're not colonists specifically they're actually people on the run from something like something's basically consuming the galaxy right. the gloom they're called and they're, they're, they're exiles yeah they're I was exiles. Gonna say, they're yeah. named exiles and in the game yeah weren't didn't they make it? Isn't that the part of the premise is that it's their fault? Like, they tried to make an empire that conquered the stars, and they did it, and then turns out you shouldn't do that, because if you conquer everything, you find shit that you don't want to find. That, that hasn't was the been, impression that's that not in the, that might be, like, maybe some of the, like, lore you discover, but it sort of seems, like, upfront at least, you're kind of dropped into this without context. You're a group of exiles running through the stars, trying to outrun the gloom. Again, very Destiny vibes. Oh, yeah. shit, the darkness, the darkness is here. The darkness is coming. <laughs> uh, I think some people saw it as like, what if you were playing the Traveler, right? Mm-hmm. Although you're less of a dirtbag Traveler here, because it's not like you're showing up and crashing at people's crashing on people's yeah. couch and then bouncing as soon as the darkness arrives. You're not doing that. No, uh, you're just extracting a bunch of materials and then bouncing as soon as the darkness comes. <laughs> Well, you're you're yeah. I mean, you're you're extracting uh, like raw materials to have enough to be able to continue your your escape mm. attempt through the through the stars. So it, the way the game works, each chapter, uh, the vault, the the huge like uh, like again, the destiny vibes are off the chart. What was the what the there was a giant spaceship in? Uh, oh God, Destiny One, uh, the dreadnought. The, Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's basically like that. It's it's 40k or the Destiny Destiny Dreadnought. It's it's uh, a, a gothic cathedral city that, that is everyone is hiding out in. Yeah. Yeah. While while the gloom consumes the stars, and then your exiles, each system you arrive at, they journey forth to these little planets or asteroids or whatever, scoop up the resources required to continue their escape, but they have to do all their business. Uh, inside of 30 turns before the gloom shows up and starts consuming the map. Like if your characters are still out there harvesting resources when the turn rolls over and the gloom consumes that ring of the solar system, that orbital, that orbital ring of the solar system, everyone there is gone along with the planets. And this starts to, it is a game then about like, using your time wisely, but also because everything requires fuel to get 
get around. There's also questions of getting to some of the most important locations might require more fuel, which means like cargo hold space begins to get really, really starts to become a precious resource. I think when we were playing it on stream, uh, one of the like in terms of like the concept of this game. We all familiar with the, the the riddle of like, you know, you're traveling with a wolf a lamb and a head of a head of lettuce and you come to a river with a with a with a uh with a boat in it but the boat can only take you plus one other thing how do you get all three things across the river uh you know what what order do you do do all this in this game kind of it, it's not like the resources will will consume each other but making sure that you're making like the the runs in the right orders and playing efficiently is is a big part of what goes on in this game and if you don't do things efficiently, you won't be able to combine the resources to create the goods you need to continue escaping or you'll like run out of gas and sort of be stranded. I've heard a lot of people talking about this game as like a, a lot of math. Um, and my question is, is it does it feel like to play this game properly is just like learning in, in the mathematical sense, the order of operations? And like doing the order of operations correctly, that you were like adding, multiplying, and subtracting things in the correct is so that's the whole thing. It's like getting the order of operations just right. But there isn't one set order for each map. For each Got it. For the whole game, right? There isn't a correct order that you can follow every time. It's you have to figure out what the order is gonna be ahead of time. Which you can mm-hmm. figure out with math. Like you if you it, it the whole map tells you how long it takes or not how long and how much energy it requires for you to get certain places. But every once in a while, there's like these little hazards that will kind of throw into question what could happen there. Bad things could happen there. Uh, on the very first map we were at, there were very, there was one hazard. So like if we wanted to, we could have avoided crossing it at all costs. We crossed it a few times and it ended up being. Not the worst, but it did cause a few moments of like, oh, we we have to re we have to take a few extra turns to uh do something else here. Um, yeah. But it's really in theory on a clean on a clean map with no hazards because hazards are a random chance element. You sh- you you should be able to mathematically plan out a perf mm-hmm. like a, what your perfect run is, and that also largely depends on. The types of ships you have, right? Because those the ships have different cargo, different weights, which makes them move differently, and also different amount of um, space for for people. And you need people to be on planets to operate the machinery that you set up to extract resources. Right, and actually, that's one of the one of the other things where a lot of the friction comes in is that it's not like you say go here and you consume like just move points to get there. Mm-hmm. Every move you make, a ship is burning fuel. Mm-hmm. Burning fuel produces a set amount of energy. It diminishes as you burn more fuel for a move. So, like, if an engine produces eight energy with the first, like, uh, tick of fuel, if you do two ticks of fuel, it won't generate 16. It'll generate, like, 15. Well, mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, like, longer trips become inherently less efficient uh, because, like the the fuel burn becomes be, be becomes inefficient. And so there's there's it even yeah. happens the other way around because you're required to use 
like if you if one tick gives you seven energy, but you only need to travel five, you've lost like technically three energy of usage because that just disappears, right? Like you put a single pip in there and it's gone. Um, so there's so, like a window where it's perfectly efficient. <laughs> and so this is the thing, like where I'm where I'm at with Banished Vault is like it's a neat game. There's I think the the aesthetic is cool. I think like solving these problems is, is neat but it's one of those things it's it's like the exact kind of game where i can see myself playing a ton of it i am less sure i will feel good about that time invested <laughs> into it because it is like for one thing mistakes are are pretty high stakes you can you know you can you can make it harder for yourself or you can always like restart the chapter you know restart the map but it's not like if you just make a boneheaded mistake, you can just hit undo. And right there, like, the game depends on the sense of consequence to to really, like, mm-hmm. make these resource, you know, debates compelling. But at the same time, like, I am someone who is very prone to just forgetting a small detail while I'm doing things. And the the interface itself kind of encourages you to do this. Like... Uh, you have to send your exiles down to the planets from the spaceships to go do things. And I was talking about, like, you can accidentally have a Home Alone scenario <laughs> where you drop someone off on a planet and you were harvesting things off that planet. You filled the ship and the ship has passenger space. But you just leave because it's like, yep, the hold is full. Time to go. And then you realize you left someone behind. If that happens, like, right at the end of a, a map where, like, the gloom is starting to spread and you see the the darkness consuming the star and, you know, like, you know, things are about to about to get bad. If that happens, that character might just be lost. You can't you can either restart the, the map, it seems, or you can uh, just watch them be lost. But all it takes is that, like, brief moment of like, oh, yeah, I forgot to, uh, you know, click on the character and, and put them back aboard the ship. And you can make mistakes like that every turn. Yeah. And so the, the the problems are interesting, but like the biggest mistakes I've made haven't really been like necessarily <sighs> driven by like, damn, like getting all these things from point A to point B is so hard. Like making these these equations work out is so hard. The biggest the, the biggest like obstacle in this game, the biggest stressor is the sheer probability that any given moment I'll just forget to be like, oh, yeah, make sure that's loaded aboard the ship before you go. Make sure make sure you've like ticked yeah. that box. There's also and, yeah. There's also remarkable. Not, I mean, maybe it's not re- that remarkably, but to me, it feels like remarkably few confirmation dialogue boxes of like, "Are you sure?" Like that sort of stop that like, that that would help me personally think back around. Okay, let me actually double check that I am sure that I want to commit to this. Like it's like no, most of the things you click it and it goes right. Um, and I feel like that is a little bit what they're kind of counting on to is just like a, oh yeah, that's, that's fine. You click it. And then after clicking go realize, oh, I forgot that one thing. Yeah. And, and so like, it's, it's one of those things where I think the, the things I like about it, it reminds me a lot of some of my favorite board games where Mm -hmm. you're, you know, put workers here, gather the resources combine resources into higher value resources and then win do cool stuff uh that's this is a this is a tried and true structure of of a lot of great board games but here it is 
also like that part of it I really like, but then it does feel like it is a game that often your fate rests on the same part of your brain that needs to remember your keys, wallet, and phone before you <laughs> leave the apartment. Well, I th- yeah. I think that's a bummer because like one of the strengths of board games as a form is that you can very easily roll things back. There is no there is no system that prevents you from rolling things back. And I think that I've seen this actually problem crop up a lot with games that like pull heavily from from board game design traditions is that it's like. Board games so frequently feel like their rules are meant to be bent at the table for the sake of the of the people playing together. And you can't do that when it is just a a, a system like this. And I think it's like makes it really hard to translate this style of play over in a way that actually feels like not shitty. Um, Because even like, because the problem becomes there is not the other players at the table to keep you accountable. It's, it's one thing to, for, cause if you have the into the breach style, rewind a turn thing, suddenly you can do a bunch of shit and just test it and then rewind one step to find the optimal solution as opposed to, you know, because if you try that shit at a table with people around you, yeah. they'll be like, come the fuck on, dude. Like, I, I, I get the mistake, but like, it, and so it's it, it's a pretty hard design problem to come up against when you want to, when you want to have this specific style of game. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I sympathize a lot for, I'm not sure there's a perfect solution here, because I mm. do think if, if you make it very easy to sort of do a little take back, uh, then that creates a different problem. I I, I want to say maybe I haven't I haven't totally looked around the interface. I haven't seen if there is some sort of if there's something in the interface that that does give you some undo options. Like because mm. I could see a limited number of undos per chapter being really clutch. Like okay, you can get three uh, rewind usages, you know, per per map or something just to cover off those. Like oh hell, I didn't I didn't mean to do that. Mm. Yeah. Because every time it happens, it it can be really frustrating. On the other times, it can be really funny. Sometimes it's not like, oh, I effectively <laughs> just like forgot to click this person. Sometimes it's like, aha, brought all the cargo back to the place where I'm going to build the critical resource I need to escape the system. Wait, there's nowhere, to, uh, there's nowhere to put it, and I don't have time to the 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 place is full, and there I don't have time to go and 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 offload some of the stuff to make space, and yeah. oh shit, I forgot to budget time for actually like building and uh you know producing from 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 the production from the production site. So sometimes like those mistakes, yeah, it's kind of a silly mistake, but also it's like you have you just conceived of what you had to do very incorrectly Mm. yeah so like i also think one of the things you're talking about here is like the time scale on which the mistake is felt i i i think that if like the the mistake is felt immediately in that way like you're talking about right with with leaving someone on a planet that mistake is felt immediately versus the i think much more interesting thing of like what you're describing a second ago where it's like, Oh fuck. I didn't even realize. Like, I think the experience of, I didn't even realize that I made a mistake five turns ago is like a very like fun experience in strategy games. But like, that does not sound like what you're coming up against most frequently. Not most frequently, uh, for, for sure. Like those, those moments of like, uh, you know, Oh, oh you just, now it is time to, to reap the bad harvest of, mm-hmm. 
uh, like just just having the wrong concept for how this escape would work. That stuff is cool. It is just those little moments of, oh, wow, I just like I played this entire map and one moment of intention. It's just it's it's totally screwed things up. And that that's kind of the game. I think the other the, the other thing that has me a little a little ambivalent. It's one of those things where like the the procedure is so satisfying. The the mm-hmm, procedure mm-hmm, of like having these mm-hmm. little expeditions go out and uh you know figuring out how the pieces are going to fit together. That's very satisfying. As you go along, like there's bits and pieces of story that you that you're unlocking uh that, that that's kind of neat. There's there's more things you unlock as you as you climb the tech tree and 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 discover more things. But also at the same time, I'm like is is this like little loop I'm in this little procedure I'm following map after map. Is it staying interesting or is it just kind of like weirdly addictive and sticky, right? Mm. Like, is it like a puzzle I can't stop messing with, but I'm not necessarily like taking delight in it. I just can't stop like trying to optimize the system, even though I don't I'm not sure I care about the system. Mm. Yeah. Can I ask another clarifying question that I'm yeah. looking at in the in the games? Like, I'm, so I'm looking at the Steam page and I'm seeing like that there are checks. Checks happen in this game to like determine outcome. And I guess my question is like, do you choose what is being checked? How often are you choosing the thing that's being checked here? Um, I'm looking here at. Uh, let me send this image because like the thing that I would worry about when I see these checks is like, is there a way that if Rob, you and Kato played through the exact same map uh, or like the, the exact same campaign going to the same maps, mm-hmm. could the two of you build in different directions such that like you you stumble upon different valid orders of operations to move through this world or you make different valid choices at each of these like checks that I'm looking at right now? Uh, or is it like there is the way through? Yeah, well, the the checks you're talking, are you mean? Do you mean the ones with the the? So those are the hazards that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. where essentially that it happens as you travel. There, there's a marked node basically in space where it says when you pass this random chance that something bad happens, right? Mm-hmm. Essentially, but it doesn't say what the type of bad thing is. No, it's not no. like I could have a bunch of characters with really good faith yeah. and see a hazard that's like this is a faith hazard right. and be like, okay, oh. normally I wouldn't send Jeff over here, so but on. I will send Faithful Eric. Okay, so uh, as far as I can tell, this is the only type of hazard I've really run into uh, so far. Faith is not a, a a quality of the character. It's not an attribute. It is mm. instead another resource that gets consumed. Kato, so Kato and I played right. a, played the game on stream the other day. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, we didn't really have time to make more elixir for our, uh, for our exiles. Mm. Elixir is what enables characters to restore, regain faith. So we had a character come out of that map down to one faith. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to matter very much. Except once a character hits zero faith, they are weak. They're too tired. Because, like, you know, the stars. The void. <laughs> the void. It's bleak. It's weighing it on can, them. Yeah, it can, yeah, it can just absolutely paralyze you. And so now I've got an exile just hanging out back at base being like, oh, the void. <laughs> and so I have to go. I have to go make more, uh, like 
methane wine effectively mm-hmm. to get them to get them back on to get them back up to, to to speed. So those hazards you hit are if they go wrong, a character loses faith and may also like re- lose all actions for the turn. And so those hazards tend to be like we are we are moving toward the moment where this character this game piece effectively becomes inert and we are also consuming their their precious precious actions uh for for the turn so that that is that is the nature of like those little hazards that are on the map that's the calculation you you make it's not like i'm going to match the character with the type of hazard it is more like do i want to send a character through the through here uh given how many faith points they have to burn Right. Got it. But otherwise, there is not a super functional difference between my buddies Villainous and Mortis. Not at, not not at first. To stir, right? Not to start. Yeah. yeah. But when you okay. complete the map, uh, you, you find out, like on the map, you find artifacts. And when you turn the artifacts back in at base, they turn in knowledge points. And the knowledge points can be used to buy one of two things. You can buy attributes to put on your exiles, which will give them a character trait. That will uh, like change how they change some of the rules around that character. It's very um, like pandemic legacy for you know for people who played that. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of games, right? Like the, the whole this character now has a little marker that like all the core rules are the same for all character, but this character has just a little a little twist on them. Right. You, you can buy attributes that that make the characters distinct from each other that way, or. You can buy tech upgrades, better ships, better engines, uh, that that kind of stuff. Generally, more efficient stuff for zipping around the stars. But yeah, it's like it's neat. I I, I dig it. I kind of can't stop playing it. <laughs> but there are times, sometimes when I finish a session, where I, you know, push the chair back and I think, I think I would have liked playing something else a little bit better than yeah. your, I, I think mm. I would have liked to have stopped playing that like 45 minutes an hour before I did. Mm. Uh, so because the game, I just, yeah. So it's acting on you're like the character, your faith is getting low <laughs> at the, at the end, at the end of your play session, you're like, damn, I got like a one faith, bro. The star is how they burn. Like, what yeah. am I supposed to you do? Know, it's a weird thing. I think this is something I've, I've really changed how I feel about this. Like you remember uh, some years back, uh, Firaxis and and 2K fully leaned into just one more term turn as uh like the right. the marketing campaign for a new Civ. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And you know, obviously that's speaking to a thing that people are really fond about with the Civ games. And God knows I loved those games. Like part of the fun was like, oh fuck yeah, new Civ. Like I'm gonna just absolutely you know. Uh, become a fiend for that game yeah. for for a few weeks, and I will happily be like, ah, just a little more, just another turn, just another another uh, technology, etc. Mm-hmm. I used to really dig that feeling of like, yeah, I just need to need to see the 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 turn ticker roll over and and re rack on actions and just make all these little choices again. I used to be really high on that. I think now I'm a little more sensitive to the fact that like. Sometimes that like slight sense of compulsion to like keep doing something and keep like working a problem is not necessarily wedded to enjoyment. Like those two mm-hmm. things can sort of like pull pull away from each other. Right. And the banished fault like exists at that like at that uh 
you know, balance point between those two sensations. And I'm not sure, like, this is very personalized. I think it's a neat game. I think people, like, Mm -hmm. should check it out. But in terms of, like, my own reaction to it, it's something I'm thinking about a lot, is that, like, there's a lot that keeps me here playing it. And there's a lot that makes me think, maybe I'm not having as much fun as as the time I'm putting into it would, would suggest. Right. I have started, Rob, like, like I've started to distrust that feeling. Anytime I have that feeling, I stop whatever I'm doing and like really pull back to be like, okay, what's happening here? Because I've gotten caught in that trap too many times. Like I, I, I I have, I have had days ruined by that shit. Yes. Um, Yes. And so like, I'm, I'm done with that. I am done with that part of my life. Like I will become the queen of executive function. I don't care. Like (laughs) this is, this is why every single time. I see a bad enough tweet uninstalled and I, and I keep it off for like two weeks. <laughs> and, and then, and, yeah. and then once, once Twitter earns its privileges back, I put it back <laughs> on my phone for about four hours before I see a bad enough tweet again. And I'm like, sorry, yeah. Twitter, you're gone again. Because like, I know myself well enough to recognize that like, I really struggle with like certain forms of impulse control. And so like, I can work on that. I can I can work on that getting better. And I have. I think I've done a great job of like making that part of myself like easier to keep a handle on. Very proud of that. But at the same time, it's like part of doing that work was also learning a bunch of coping skills to get me away from the problem long enough to learn the skills to actually deal with it. And so like I think that like I looked at the banished fault and I was like, this game looks super sick, but like hearing you say this is making me be like, okay, cool. That is a super sick game for other people because I do not think it will be good for me. And you know what? I think that is the right call. Yeah, it's yeah. And I, and I don't think it's I don't think it's like trying to like hook you in that way. I don't think it's a mm. Skinner box in, in, in any any way. But I think like there are times I think I think some of us will react to, to things in a different way where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this system isn't quite optimized. I haven't really quite like this machine mm-hmm. could be running better. I could tinker with it. <laughs> and before we before we question like, well, to what end? Like, yeah. is this your problem solved? Do you, do you actually want to do this? You can't, you can kind of just get pulled into doing it to the, to the process of doing it without going through that, that reflective step of like, yeah, but why are we here? Like, yeah. why, like, what are, what are you getting out of this? And so, uh, you know, like I, I'm, I'm going to play it, play it a bit more. I'm going to see where, where my run goes, but that's, that's kind of my note is I, I dig it. But I also think it's it's one of those games where it's it is easier it's easy to get sucked in without necessarily like being cognizant of what part of this is is keeping mm-hmm. you keeping you at the table. Uh, anyway, that's that that's the banished vault. This is a bit of old business, but but Patrick, uh, I had a feeling that you were in a similar amb- similarly ambivalent place with Final Fantasy. It was this is a note from on on our uh, you know planning document from a couple weeks ago, but I don't think we ever did come loop back around to FF sixteen, did we? No, I don't think that game's very good. Uh, is <laughs> yeah, where, is where, <laughs> where where I came back. Am I still playing it? Yes. Am I going to beat it? Almost certainly. Um, but uh, mostly because I want to understand it. Um, Mm -hmm. like it is, I think it will, it's a milestone game, which is usually used in the (laughs) milestone complimentary milestone derogatory, uh, is, is, um, 
I haven't had a chance to listen to. I know that uh, Austin was, was speaking about this game on uh, on abnormal mapping, um, and uh, the little I have heard about those conversations sounds like they they line up pretty pretty closely with my reaction to a game that is just a complete mess on a story level, on a character level. Even the combat, which is extremely promising up front, I think gets awfully messy um, by the kind of end game, which is where I'm in the game sort of broken into three acts. I'm like in the midst of doing the third act. Um, The quests are just not any fun. It's not enjoyable to explore the world. It's it's just a mess. It's a I think it is a complete misfire um, Mm -hmm. and and a real disappointment, um, but uh, is the kind of game that like we'll look back on this. It, it's I am so curious to what does Square learn from from this game because you have this and Final Fantasy VII remake, and I think remake is a much more successful direction of what they're trying to do with this style of game, which is how do we match the nostalgia, a certain approach to uh, game design and storytelling with modern expectations of of combat and yada 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 and uh, Ren. Sorry, I, I, the the question I had was just like, did you play Final Fantasy fifteen? Yes, and I quite liked Final Fantasy fifteen. Uh, okay, so that was my that was my my, my question is like, where does sixteen stand in? Because fifteen is like a pretty messy is is a similarly messy game for a lot of people. I think a lot of people did not like fifteen uh, for for a variety of reasons, but fifteen has always been like interesting to me. I've always looked at Final Fantasy fifteen as like a weird experiment and 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 a thing that I am glad exists, even if it's like not the most for me that any Final Fantasy game has been. And Final Fantasy 16 seems like it learns a lot of the wrong lessons from 15, from from what I can tell from the outside, and then while also trying to like move in a different tonal direction. Do you feel like that's like accurate? And like how do you feel like it relates to the previous entry uh in the series? Like does it feel as part of like a design continuum in that way? I'm going to answer that in two minutes when the person cleaning my house is finished vacuuming, which is happening literally right outside and it's going to impact <laughs> my recording. They'll be done in just a second, but yep. I'd rather than giving Kato something mm-hmm. else to so, edit. Uh, looping, looping back then, because uh, Ren, your point about Twitter and such, this is actually something else. I've been, hey, it's self-improvement corner here while we, while we wait for Patrick to be able to speak again. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about like, uh, you know, th- this touches on one like a few weeks ago. I had one of those moments. I've lived, I've had, I've dealt with the same kitchen for years. Mm. Periodically, I reorganize it because like this could be a little better. But a couple weeks ago, I landed on the this is it. This is where the things go in the cupboards. This is where the dish rack goes. This is where you put dirty dishes mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. out of the way. And like I, I saw the little points where things get in the way of you needing to actually do stuff in the kitchen and, you know, creating like little log jams. Solved all that. Very cool. Very satisfying to 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 go through. Mm-hmm. But it also made me realize like. There's a lot of times you can like sort of design a space or design something that actually does like materially make your life a little better and a little easier. You can design yeah. for a for a better life, for a for a, a, a calmer space and a less stressful one. And then then I was thinking about like but so much of our technology isn't designed to encourage that, right? Like it's designed for like immediate contact and and connectivity. Uh, and, and, and like, it occurred to me, I was like kind of wishing, uh, 
to your point about Twitter, that like there are a way to put these things in appropriate places that they like kind of go out of sight, out of mind at the at the right moments, right? That like uh, that it weren't so easy to both get into them, but also that they weren't built to sort of have you keep checking and refreshing them. But they yeah. are; they are inherently built to do that. And so, just installing it, there is no way to interact with that uh, interact with it without like also letting it get its hooks into you because it's just built yeah. to have those hooks. Yeah. Which is, which is really frustrating. This is also why I like have tried to really separate my work and life. So I've been trying to separate my work and life spaces a lot more. And honestly, it's been going really well. I was doing a really great job of like writing at a cafe like every single day and like get it making a ton of progress on a thing that I'm working on. And then all that just turned to shit when my laptop started going out and I couldn't trust it anymore. And then, you know, it's, the really frustrating thing about all of the, you know, design, how do I design my life to be gentler and like easier to me is that like the frustration comes when you sit, you do it and then immediately part of it breaks. That mm -hmm. has always been my frustration of like setting up the system that does work for me and then like fundamental aspects of the system completely falling apart. I did this in college where I set up a system that worked for me and then COVID happened and everything fucking fell apart. Uh, I did this recently. Uh, where I built a system that worked and now I'm moving. Uh, I did this again where I was like, okay, well, let's build a morning routine that works and then the laptop broke. And like, I think that is where some like of the very real friction and frustration comes from like trying to design a life that is kind to you is like yeah. the very sudden collapse of those like coping mechanisms before you have the time to like build the muscle memory that you can deal without them. Uh, it, this was it, always like, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it takes greater resources and stability. Uh, yeah, like that, exactly. that is that is a part of it. Like, I think some of it is what you're also describing is like early 20s. It's like, hey, one life transition after another. And yeah. so there's always something happening around the corner. This is kind of the longest we've lived in a place. And so which is not a funny thing, right? Like it took me five years and multiple reorganizations to really figure out like, oh, wait, this is how you make this kitchen suck less. Mm hmm. And to a degree, that's kind of satisfying. It's like, okay, now I really do understand the space well enough. Uh, and that's going to inform like a lot of choices we make down the road with like improving the kitchen, hopefully. But, but also it's kind of annoying, right? Cause it's like, oh dude, if you have just been able to figure out the system, you've been able to look at the space mm -hmm. and do the thing, like the banished vault thing of like, this piece goes here, this piece goes there. If you could have done that, uh, you know, life, life would have been good. Hey, it's my turn. To walk away here, Patrick. Let's go back to Final <laughs> Fantasy. <laughs> we are we are just beset with interruptions oh, today. Well, it's fu it's funny because I, I was in retrograde. God damn it! <laughs> uh, Is it? You know, I, I was going to point out that you know for the, the idea of like creating systems in your life and structure so that it can. You can. I really wish he had muted his. <laughs> we can mute him now. We can mute him. We can mute him on our. We can. End. We can collectively mute him. Yeah, All right, yeah, Rob, yeah. you're being muted. All right, bye, Rob. Bye, bye, Rob. Um, <laughs> oh, I can also mute oh. Rob's soundboard, which I'm going to do just in case. Um, uh, is like in much of the way that dog just interrupted. System makes for like kids do that to such an uh, like yeah. you the systems. The, the key thing being a parent is expecting your systems are going to break. And then how do you come up with one? And then also when you're frustrated when the system breaks, like that's the importance of having a partner to offload. Like there are times both me and my wife has, you know, you snap Here's at the why. kids and you realize because like you, 
they've done something terrible. It's really bothered you. And you have to tap them on the shoulder and go, hey, you need to like go reset, figure out your systems. Like, how are you going to like get through this yeah. moment? And having someone else recognize you're having a moment is uh, is important. Rob, we're yeah. unmuting you. This is this is the strength of of dating an interior. I will say this is the this what? is one of the biggest boons of dating an interior designer is that the the system building is. Do, I do actually have someone to help with that, which is very very lovely. Um, I'm I'm deeply grateful. Rob, did you or, or kind of did your Discord start making a clapping sound when yes, you unmuted? Yes, used a soundboard. I didn't oh. know this was a thing. <laughs> okay, I was so I thought so. Rob, you left and. It, it got, <laughs> That's gonna. Hmm. You're gonna have to put I'm in the backup. Put in the, yeah, I, it's, it's, so the, it's on the backup. <laughs> the soundboard. We had to. We had to mute you oh because we could. I muted your soundboard. You, you, oh, you left. Mina's barking is piercing. I forgot to mute, and it occurred mm-hmm. to me like they are not gonna be able to put a thought together if they. We muted no, you. We, we, yeah, I, try, yeah. I tried. I tried. I tried desperately, and no, then and then muted you. She like also she hits frequencies that are just like uh, MK calls it bark jamming. <laughs> which is like so it, it, it's related to like a thing you can do where for instance um if you sync up like we've all dealt with this with like speech delay oh, right if yeah. if the delay is just the wrong way you lose the ability to speak because what you are hearing like just shuts down your speech centers you're like yep. i can't talk mm-hmm. uh but it's a similar sort of thing where like m- like mina will just time it to just like blast you with this like high pitched bark, and each time it's like completely involuntary. It's like, oh, uh, yeah, what was I saying again? And then like she'll hit you again. It's very, <laughs> very powerful. Very yeah, Oh my! I can't believe you're. I can't believe Mina has skills. <laughs> Mina yeah, has abilities. Up, you know, going up a skill tree. Good for you. Good for you. Wow. Mina. Um. So so Final Fantasy 15. I I that game worked. The story didn't work for me, hmm. but. The bros in a car on a journey really worked for me. The pulling off to the side of the road and cooking high resolution food worked Mm. for me. Like the like the core group was um, it was a really it was I think it was an interesting misfire. Um, And uh, I think Final Fantasy 16 is is also an interesting misfire but one in which I have negative feelings towards, whereas like 15, I was like, I'd really like to see them take another crack in, like in this direction. Like there is fascinating stuff here that they are they are trying to work out. What is Final Fantasy? Like it has to like people want they want to make it with a big budget and they want to, to sell millions of copies to how do we do that against players having certain expectations of what these games look like? And I think Square has really struggled to figure out what that is. Which is hard because, like, what is the thing that worked about Final? You just said it. The thing that worked about Final Fantasy fifteen was the connection between the characters. Was was the broiness of it all? Of just like the guys being dudes near one another. And from what I've heard mm-hmm. of Final Fantasy sixteen, that is not that game. That is that is not a game about like people vibing together and like finding meaning in those connections in a way that like feels. Like it abandons what is the closest thing that Final Fantasy has to a core identity. If Final Fantasy has a core identity, it is like the 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 spectacle and scale of its worlds and the ways in which human relationships and melodrama drive the narrative above all else. Like those are those are the things that are Final Fantasy to me. And from what I've heard of sixteen, that doesn't sound 
like the pitch. No, it's and it's I mean, look, it's fine that the game is a complete downer. Um, There's like there is a like Final Fantasy 17 is like or, you know, a, a, a seven, sorry, is uh, yeah. is like a bummer. Like, you know, it's a game about like the, the planet falling apart, like a whole plate falls on and like kills, you know, the tens of thousands. I mean, like there's a lot of darkness to it, but there I don't know, there's. Like, I just don't buy these characters, these relationships. Mm-hmm. Like, Clive is, is well acted. Like, the voice, like, Sid is fine. Sid's hot. Like, that's funny. But um, it's just, like, none of it clicks for me. Um, it's all these, like, disparate parts. None of it adds up to anything meaningful. And, like, it's an entire game hinged on spectacle. Uh, and the spectacle, I will say, is spectacular. Like, the... Like these, the for lack of a better term, like kaiju fights, like where you're fighting like the summon equivalents um, that are called uh uh shit, I forget what they're they're called in in this game, but um, icons, you know, like the or is that the person? Icons, yes. Okay. Mm, I think the, no, I think icons the are the actual creatures. Are oh, it was right there. It was on the tip of my tongue. God damn it, I lost uh-huh. it. It's gone. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's some other word. Branded. Brand- well, there's the branded. Brand- no, branded um, are the. Mm, magic users. <laughs> yeah, well, they're they are magic users that, depending on where you were born, you like there's scale of enslavement in 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 this world. Uh, like, there are places you can be born where, like, just a little bit of slavery, but like we respect you as yeah. a person. It's a, you're still a slave. It's a D and word, that's, isn't it? Uh yeah, it'll come to me, yeah. but um. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, it's so it's been kind of profoundly disappointing in that regard. And I'm I'm dominance. I know that they dominance. Yes, Dom, so dominance are the ones who are imbued. So like there are magic users, and then there are icon wielders, and those are called dominance. So if you to be able to summon like an Ifrit or um, uh, Bahamut, uh, you, Bahamut, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, all your classic Final Fantasy. Then you're done. All yeah. your all your classics. Those sequences are incredible they're some of the coolest things i have seen depicted in a video game that is technically in and those sequences are technically interactive but they strip away all the interesting parts of the combat so that the godzilla character can like punch and kick instead of (laughs) like having like a really nuanced uh uh, combat system but it's um did anyone play asura's wrath the capcom game no, I, I mean I, I know. Watched, yeah, I watched Jacob Geller play Osiris Wrath on a live stream. Uh, <laughs> right, so tested for it. So I've I'm, I've seen how Osiris Wrath goes. I watched the end of that game. Yeah, it's it's that is so that game is an interactive cutscene. It is quick yeah. time events, um, uh, with just the most outrageous scale and like it's so mm. cool. I re- I desperately wish Capcom would make another one it's it's it is one of my all-time favorite games um just because it is visually astounding and there are there are many moments in this game where it hits those similar high notes where you are just looking at what you're watching and the scale of it and how it's presented and it's just breathtaking but then you have to go back into the game and uh keep playing it and um that's the part that like separate from the fact that the core relationships I have zero connection to I find very little emotional resonance with um like just exploring the world isn't interesting all the quests are terrible like ever awful like you don't want to like this is a game that has to um classify its quests by two different icon markers like one is an exclamation mark that designates a side quest and you should ignore it and not engage with it it's the game telling you it's worthless and then there <laughs> are ones that are 
<laughs> there are ones that are Christ. are plus marks, like a plus mark. And what that designates is you're going to get a meaningful upgrade out of it. Now, is that quest going to be any mm. good? No. But you should do the garbage quest because your potions are going to be more effective. And <laughs> you... It's... it's again, I don't have huge experience with MMOs, but it's... This game frequently feels like it has taken all of my... Um, expectations of things I would dislike about like things I like things I don't like about MMOs my brief time with them what if you crammed all that into a single player game but not give you any of the benefits that people enjoy about the MMO experience right like people put up with tired repetitive quest design and and things like that because there are other things you are getting out of what what is what is uh, possible from like the the massive part of it um there are compromises that are made and oftentimes that is like go catch 15 rabbits or whatever so you can grind your way to the next right. level and this game has all of that but like it, but st- jumped into a single player experience that uh it, where it just doesn't really work and so i hope they look at final fantasy 7 remake and not view it as hey this is successful because we made a more action-oriented version mm-hmm. of a game that has an enormous amount of yeah. uh like history and nostalgia like it's just a better like that is feels like a classic Final Fantasy game that plays like a game that people uh, want an action RPG hybrid to play in 2023. And I just make an make another one of those because mm-hmm. this where whatever they're chasing with this. Well, one, don't use Game of Thrones as a template again. You don't even understand what yeah. was good about those. Sto- like it, do- <laughs> it, do- it, it doesn't even seem to understand what is interesting about Game of Thrones, which is political intrigue. Like it's people. No, in a room it's because talking. It's people that people that say that they fuck say that they fuck. Not even. <laughs> yeah, like right? yeah, this. But but yeah, like there's that. Um, but like it's drama between like uh political no, 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 class. I mean, I mean, Final Fantasy thinks that. Oh, that yes, that yes, is what they took yes. away from. It's like yes. oh, it's sex. And it's like yeah. even though they can't even do that. Exactly. I mean, exactly. <laughs> I see that the woman is naked. Show me the boobs. Like, have a little, like... <laughs> go full HBO you go full HBO. <laughs> have a little confidence. She's beautiful. Like, let's just, you know, let's go. Um, and... But it's 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 cowardly. It's a cowardly yeah. game. It is... Ta- yeah. It is. It looked at Game of Thrones. It ripped off its skin and said, Yep, we're mature now. And it just doesn't understand... And it's not showing enough of it. <laughs> no tits. <laughs> Ripped off Game of Thrones skin and didn't even show it. <laughs> and and, Bunch and it's, of yeah, bastards. like it's it's just a very it's a very strange game and yeah. And so where I land on it is that I hope their lesson is don't make another one of these and that you can do. People want like want to pay seventy bucks and like entertain me and part of that is seeing the money on the screen and I think Final Fantasy VII's remake does that in a way that honors the legacy of like this series and doesn't lose what it was in the first place. Like Final Fantasy 15 for all of its faults yeah. feels like it is a, like a group of warrior, like a group of like interesting, like warriors off on a quest. And th- th- that feels like so core to the DNA of like all of my favorite Final Fantasy uh, games, like from going all the way back to the first one that I played six. And there's just none of that. There's none of that here. And it's, if it wasn't called Final Fantasy 16, like there'd be no reason to name it Final Fantasy because it doesn't seem to share anything uh, meaningfully in line with with the series in a way that I don't know, that I would want out of a, a modern version of it. 
Are you, at the very least, Patrick, at the very least, mm-hmm. and I don't know much about Final Fantasy XVI's like, core combat system, Yeah, but at the very least, are you building meters to use abilities to attack enemies for massive damage? Like, I are am. you building me? Are you building meters in such a way where it's like, oh, fuck yeah, I got the limit break. Because like that to me is like if there was a mechanical identity to Final Fantasy, it is like meter management as as like expression of like player skill. Like, can you effectively manage all of these characters meters such that they get to use their abilities for massive damage? Yeah, skill, skill, and also, what spectacle do you want to see? Like right. as that meter fills, and like right. there's a, you know, oftentimes like when you would cast a summon, it's a, they're all kind of the same. Like I just, <laughs> I just think the Shiva one looks real cool, and like uh, do do that one. Um, the unfortunate uh, part about Final Fantasy XVI's combat is that it is a complete pushover. I, you know me, I, me and Ren are on opposite sides of the spectrum in terms of how we play, how we approach difficulty in games like i i want games to push on me but i don't need them to like <laughs> throw me over overboard whereas ren you thrive in a game like demanding like everything out of you um when you're playing it you seem to engage more fully with games when playing on higher difficulties um that's not me and but here like i i don't know that you'd get be able to get past the first hour because this is it's it's being reductive but this game is basically like press a to win, like there are other buttons here, mm-hmm. you don't really got to use them. I, mm. I, and the game does not have an an, an uh, a difficulty mode to adjust to. I would do it in a heartbeat because this game has a pretty thrilling, interesting, and visually dynamic combat system that you do not need to engage with whatsoever. Um, it is, it is like, look, d- there's a lot of depth here, but you can just stay in the kiddie pool. And so I find myself changing the build of my mm-hmm. character to include a lot more parry elements mm-hmm. because it gives me something, a different button to press in the combat, but I don't need to, I don't need to wind up the, I don't need to time the parry. I could just hit square and move on with my life. And I, I find that to be profoundly disappointing as well. Cause it, it ends up not delivering on, on anything that I would want from the game. Um, and even the, like the moment to moment combat, which there's a lot of, uh, is, is just not that exciting or interesting. Yeah. And that's a bummer because like that is also like a I think actually a pretty good way to frame how difficulty in games often does not often feel, which is like the way that I like difficulty is like you're saying, does the game ask me to engage with its systems fully? and, And like that to me is hard mode. A hard mode in a video game should be when it asks me to fully engage with all of its systems. Very hard is when you have to like fully optimize those systems. And normal is like there are these systems in this game. You have to get some of them. As long as you like, you don't have, if a game has like 10 systems, right, of like, and, and normal difficulty to me is like, you got to use seven of them. You have to get seven you of gotta them. You got to understand what's good. been taught to you yeah. or mm-hmm. else you're going to fail. And then when you have your equivalence of a story mode or an easy mode, that's like, hey, just hit the, the square. Like, you can just kind of move along so that you can yeah. experience the story. And this game feels like it was tuned entirely for mm. that difficulty. It feels like the game... Like I thought, I looked after a couple of hours to see if I'd messed something up. Like, oh, did I did I pick the wrong thing? Hopefully, this game lets me change that. You know, mid midstream. But there's there are difficult. There there is a harder difficulty that is unlocked after beating the game. But it's not a short game. Like I'm right. 25 hour, hours into it. Like it's at least you know 30 35. Mm-hmm. And um, like it, it there is there is no push 
to engage. And like, this is a game where your power sets are when you encounter uh, an enemy that has is a, a dominant that is associated with a different icon and then you defeat them. Like your character is special and unique and like can absorb some of the powers mm-hmm, of that. Mm-hmm. And so you start getting like these different uh, these different creatures giving you different power sets. Like some of them are based on like uh, pushing an enemy away and pulling an enemy away. Other ones are like charging magic in interesting ways. Others are like manipulating lightning to do chain attacks. And you can start picking like you can start aligning those to play off each other in interesting ways. But it's the way the difficulty is tuned. It is only there for your own amusement. Um, like, I made an interesting build, but the game's not asking me to think about it, uh, and you could just leave everything alone and just keep hitting the same basic attacks and be able to, to move along. And so it just feels like it was... I don't know what audience it's trying to speak to from a story level, from a from a gameplay level, uh, and and so because of that, uh, a game that I found very promising in those first... Those first couple hours, Kato, I think are are really good and like potentially set up something really interesting. Like the core concept of a main character Clive, who uh, is magically gifted, but was not a dominant. So it's not like it right. is not, you know, and, and their mother resents them for it. And like the whole, like, like blood is important. Yeah. And like these different, re- like there was some like- setup there that was like, I think they do know they they might be pointing towards some of the things that like that's a, that's an interesting game. story and you know what they do they drop it after two hours yeah this and is what I heard this is what I because yeah I I played the, the demo and a little bit past the demo and um I felt yeah even in the beginning I was like okay we're just introducing these systems seems fine um but even like just a little bit past where the demo ended I I started to realize like the thing that the systems end up doing is making the making the encounters shorter. If you if you like do the like magic chain thing, which makes it a little bit more dynamic to do. Yeah, you're dealing like a tiny tick of damage each time you do that. But over the length of the encounter, it's like you've taken a minute off that encounter. And it's like if what it does is really just like a we're gonna speed this encounter up a little bit. It's like is the encounter really interesting at that point? It's like, uh, no, I can just and, mash I, and I think the it would if it was harder. Like Thirty seconds, right? Like, because like the enemy design is good, the combat design is good, right? The encounter design is good, but if it's like essentially press A to win, like none of that matters. Yeah, the, it all falls apart. The well, benefit I, isn't like the benefit isn't large enough. It feels like it's like, yeah, you can just mash game- it. Yeah. Does this game have a scoring system in combat? Is this a like like is this a character action game that does not or, or something close to the character action lineage that does not have a ranking system? Because I feel because one other Final Fantasy games solved this problem. This is a solved problem. Final Fantasy thirteen. <laughs> Final Fantasy thirteen fixed mm-hmm. it. Like Final mm-hmm. Fantasy thirteen's combat is not the hardest thing on earth most of the time, but it does have a grading system. Where it's like, okay, are you actually using these systems to their fullest? There are rewards if you use this system, like, particularly well and do it, like, elegantly, efficiently. There are boss fights where it's like, you gotta do this. But up until that point, there is a degree to which Final Fantasy Thirteen is like, do you want to get the best score in this combat encounter to get this cool resource, right? And that's not what I'm really hearing i'm just like, this sounds like the problem, again, not to keep talking about Final Fantasy Fourteen, but like... This is the problem of MMO combat up until you get into high level play, 
right, right? Like this is this is the issue until you get to raid level play is that nothing fucking matters because it can't. It can't matter because it has to be like an easy slope up until the point where like you're too fucking bought in to well, get out. And now the gear grind starts. Well, and this and that's the thing, like the side quest design or lack thereof sounded so it, betray, it betrays what it is so badly. Right. Because the only that, that quest design makes sense in MMOs because like you just want your little experience like you're going right. to go you're going to kill these monsters anyway. But you go and you kill these monsters and then you turn back in at the quest giver and it's like, and here's a bag of extra experience. Here's a tip. Mm-hmm. And that'll get you to where you're going a little faster, which is the next level. And that's somehow inherently interesting. But if I'm playing a single player Final Fantasy. If I go to a place, I want something interesting to happen in the place. I don't want it to be like, uh, yeah, just here's an encounter. Go beat up this thing. Done. Like that is like... That's the opposite of what I'm showing up to a single player game to do. But it, it, this does feel like a throwback to there was this era uh, where. I think like the success of MMOs was starting to create like a lot of attempts to sort of mimic that sort of game design in other uh, RPG spaces, because mm-hmm. it was this idea of like people just fucking love hot bars. People love hot bars and <laughs> uh, going around just like and just upgrading their characters. This is this is what people want out of RPGs. And so there were a lot of games that were like you were playing them by yourself or sometimes you were playing them like uh, tabletop with other people. But somehow it was still designed to feel like I'm on an XP grind. Mm-hmm. And it was a dark time, but I haven't really encountered a game <laughs> like that in a while. It's really surprising that Final Fantasy 16, of all things, this moment, this place and time, ends up being this kind of vibe. Well, but it comes from, was it Yoshida, Yoshi P, right? Who is uh, l- largely credited with turning around, obviously, obviously a huge team. You know, we, we understand yeah. all that stuff. But like, like as a creative lead is is uh, broadly credited, I think. Daniel Dwyer did a big documentary on on Final Fantasy XIV's turnaround um, some years back. Uh, that's worth checking out. Um, but this this is this is Yoshi P making a single player Final Fantasy after rising in the ranks at Square and in the public, really, because he's actually one of the few Japanese game designers are often very soft spoken, and he's very like funny and honest and thoughtful um even when he's explaining why there are no black characters in his game like (laughs) maybe not the thoughtful part but you know what i mean like there's a there's an explanation there's a thought process i disagree with the conclusions and the analysis but um anyway so there's a lot of excitement especially me personally because like oh and i'd heard the storytelling was really good in those games or the expansions uh to 14 i was like i'd love to see what this person this designer this creatively does with final fantasy <laughs> it seems like they brought a lot of the bad hiccups and design tendencies of an, an mmo to here i mean a lot of this game's combat is cooldown is is mm-hmm. um is uh, is is casting a spell then doing casting a different spell, and by the time you've cast the other spells, you can go back to that original spell, and then the the, the dynamism is supposed to come from finding different ways for those spells to interact. Like the one the cheat I found was uh, there's uh, there there's one of the the, the lightning based magic that you get can produce a, a a ball that you set down, and it will do like an AOE like pretty powerful damage attack every time you strike it. 
And then I have a fire attack. Wow, I love the char- magic. I love the mystic knight from Dragon's Dogma. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's a fire attack that you uh, you kind of charge forward and you do a bunch of very tiny damage, but you can like collect enemies as a group. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what I discovered was, well, I will just set, I will simply just set down this lightning ball and then kite the enemies over towards me. And then I will charge at the lightning ball with the firepower. And I could eliminate basically every mob in the game in a in a frat in like a matter of seconds and even bosses it was like better for me to just wait to charge up those two powers and do it all over again now that's it it is cool like um, i'm really neat to see these two power sets like interact and produce like a really powerful attack but also because the difficulty doesn't respond to you it's a very natural two powers to overlap once you understand how they, they interact with each other but the game doesn't respond and go like haha you've got stuff that's gonna start fucking these enemies up so we're gonna we're going to push back. Instead, it's like, nah, it's cool. You can just clean up on aisle seven with the lightning bolt and move on with your life. Patrick, sorry. Well, I know, Rob. I know. I know we need to go to break. I just have one question. Patrick, yeah. what did you play in Dragon's Dogma? Uh, the, the arrow person. I want to shoot Great. the big the big arrows from the sky down. I forget, what I, I forget which class because you picked Magic two Archer. classes. Yes, Magic Archer was, was broadly... Um, what I played, though. Yeah. Great. You What you just described is the bread and butter combo for the Mystic Knight is to literally put down the orb that shoots the like the little magic bolts and then use another ability that has a like a significant number of multi hits and then just like spam that. And like that is a way that you can take out like really powerful bosses in Dragon's Dogma. Mm hmm. That fucker. <laughs> so, well, so, Ren. I'm gonna read you a headline. I was pretty sure this was true, and I was just wanted to double check it. This is from a this is from a year ago when we were all a little more excited about Final Fantasy 16. Oh hell yeah! Final Fantasy 16's combat director worked on Devil May Cry 5 and Dragon's Dogma. Let's fucking go! Never been wrong in my life. <laughs> so so you're you, yeah. But there's a you know hmm. it makes complete sense that you're gonna have a combat designer that um has like tells and like habits mm. like they have. I'm sure they have an approach to combat that they think is interesting. And I think what's so unfortunate about the way this game was tuned is that they failed like what this designer put together. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think the combat design is bad. I think the way the world is tuned around it fails the combat uh, in a way that's that's really uh, unfortunate. Um, but yeah, wish I liked the game better. I, I do want to see it to the end because I think it's it's worth knowing how this game plays out and where it stands and sort of like Square's broader work as they go forward. But I, I have to admit, like liking final fantasy seven a lot aside mm. mostly i played this and was like i i'm just so much more excited for right. the second installment of that coming out early next year yeah <laughs> <laughs> off wow did you do that rob was that you? yeah you can see I, it you can okay. see if you look at i was the making cameras. i was pretty i was pretty sure that's what that was I held, I just want to be clear, I held my fuck off just long enough so that Kato could get a clean pull from the backup, yeah. but I just want you to know that I felt it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> you fuck. These little features are definitely worth uh, little pop-ups every time you interact with Discord in any way, shape, or form. This is, these little widgets, this is, this is why this, this... <sighs> Program mm-hmm. it needs to bloat, cause cause in that bloat there's the good times. <laughs> we're gonna take a little break and come back with uh, a little more discussion of some games, and then we're gonna dip into a mailbag. Back or after no. This. 
Porno. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going behind the curtain. <laughs> One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What <laughs> changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar or you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com slash remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, REMAP Radio listeners. Rob here. You know, the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week, and then I'd trawl through the grocery stores making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget, and unfortunately, my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, that's, right, that's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off. That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And we're back. Uh, Ren, there's a game you listed here for today's show, Blood West. And then I clicked on the, the Steam Store page and Immersive Sim, uh, mm-hmm. Western Horror. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Sign me up. Nice. Cool. <laughs> Sh- and you Should know I what? be signed up? Should I enroll in it's Blood West? It's a good West? game. 
It's a it's All a right. game that's fun to play. It is a game that is fun to play. It's solid. Um, my my qualms uh, come from. Okay, so let me the pitch on Blood West. It is a stealth. It's it's it is another thief with guns uh, in in the gloomwood in the in the now gloomwood tradition. Uh, it is a thief with guns, but this one is set in the American West as opposed to like a weird bloodborne Victorian era, uh, which is what um, gloomwood is aiming for. And it's also moving its aesthetic uh, a little bit further in time, uh, further forward in time than gloomwood does. Uh, if gloomwood is you know early three D or like you know relatively early three D, then like. Uh, Blood West is like probably like two years after that, maybe a year after that is is what I would describe its aesthetic. Low poly, but like still pretty sharp. Um, And the game's basic systems are all built around like sneaking around because the enemies, which are mostly like monsters, hit really hard. Uh, Your character was a person who died and gets resurrected to then come back and do some things. Some spirits resurrect you and they're like, we got to get some stuff fixed. Uh, and so you get resurrected and you go and do that. Um, I think that the game's systems are pretty solid. Uh, it has like stalker style trinkets to it where like there are like, these things you can find in the world that you can equip on your character that give you like some bonuses. One of them I found gives you like you regen one HP every eight seconds. And like in a game spent with a lot of time sneaking around, there's a lot of time where, like, you are not actively engaging an enemy, where, like, having a passive heal and having a 1 HP per 8 seconds in an action game is a pretty tough pitch. In a stealth game, that is a compelling, like, upgrade to your character, right? And so it's got these stalker-style trinkets, uh, and then you have a primary weapon, a secondary weapon, and then you sneak around. All of these things work pretty, pretty well together. I think it is a, like a fun, immersive sim. I can take a rock and throw it and enemies will go over there and then I can shoot them in the back of the head with a bow. Uh, early in the game, I got a, a bow that takes five, that doesn't require ammo and instead takes five HP from me every time I shoot it. Love a cursed bow. Love a cursed bow. That same merchant also sells a knife where if you get a stealth hit with that knife, you regain 5 HP. And so it has this very Love obvious synergy. Love a virtuous cycle in my, Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And like the first, the first vendor I met in the game had that. And I was like, that's great. This is a great sign to me that the literal first guy I met in this world was like, here is a cool synergy. Would you like to use it? Um, to which I was like, yes, I would like to use this cool synergy. How much will it cost me? And the game said... 500 gold please and so then i just like ran around killing enemies until i had 500 like 500 dollars worth of gold in a way that was like not super engaging um it was really just like okay i have i guess i have to pay the dying tax to be able to get this like cool bow and knife the other problem uh that i have with the game lies in its like handling of its setting which like saw some concerning things Oh, you should be. Um, and this is where, like, I I do not, like, particularly recommend this game uh, is, is because I think it handles its setting pretty irresponsibly, uh, is what I'll say. It is, like, it is the pop culture imaginary of the American West with all of, like, the very, very uncomfortable and, like, shitty... Um, 
like racist undertones of that. It looks like there's a lot of bone it. tomahawk in this game. There's, in, there in sure is, Rob. Yeah. There sure is. And the game does what is like becoming an increasing, an increasingly infuriating thing that games have been doing over the last like few years, which is. And it, this is just a huge pet peeve of mine. There's an indigenous spirit that you're not supposed to say or write the name of that is from like the Algon like from like the Algonquin like region of of like America, right? That every fucking Wild West game uses. It's it's not accurate to the people who live in the West. It's also not accurate to the original myth. And like, if you're gonna put a name that like is gonna like curse someone for reading it aloud in your fucking video game, that that people believe that, right? You're doing one of two things, right? You're either saying, I don't care enough about like your belief system to actually respect it enough to like, even if I don't believe it, right? If I don't believe something personally, I can still be like, this would be a, sh a shitty and disrespectful thing to include to people who do. It's basically like a big sign that says, I think that this is a fun mythology joke, effectively. Um, or you're just doing something really dumb. And I think it's completely fucking unnecessary that it keeps happening. Uh, that it is in, I believe, Until Dawn. Uh, it is in, let's think, uh, the Shin Megami Tensei games. And like, it, it, it is just a increasingly frustrating pet peeve of mine that this keeps fucking happening after like people are telling them repeatedly that all you have to do is change the name literally all you have to do is change the name of the creature and you're fine because it's so far removed from the original like context that like it's not even doesn't even look like the same doesn't look like the same thing does not yeah. function like the same thing and so it's just like the most basic fucking decency to not do it. It it costs nothing. It's eight letters. You got to change eight letters. That's it. And it never happens. And like that to me is like the sign that this game is like not really super not worth engaging with on like a narrative or like vibes based yeah. level because it just doesn't care enough. Uh, Do you think there's something like about like the, the sort of low poly thing also that like you end up playing around with like just this notion that a lot of games had sort of a grindhousey, offensive vibe back in this era. And so to a degree, you end up in this place where it's like, yeah, this is like stuff feels inbounds making a game like this mm -hmm. in a way that like, oh, it feels like, you know, that's the kind of throwback this is. But the question what? is, we're not, but it's not actually from that era. We're making mm -hmm. it today. Uh, I mean, I think that, like, this specific instance, not as much because it's so, this is, like, such a commonly used thing, right? I just said, like, yeah. until dawn, like, a minute ago, right? But what I will say is that I, I, I think you are right in that. And here's the thing. I like a fucked up grindhouse thing. I love, yeah. I love a game with, like, some fucked up vibes. Um, It just, the, the qualms come when those fucked up vibes are have been pointed out time and time again yeah. to be completely unnecessary and you could do literally anything else. Yeah. Anything else would would be viable and like that is the thing that is like particularly frustrating to me about this. It doesn't even feel edge lordy. It just feels like no one cared. Uh and that's a huge bummer uh and like kind of has killed my interest in playing more of this because it's just feels uh, totally unnecessary 
and like it is a setup for like a bunch of other shit that like the I don't trust the game to get better about this as I play more. Uh, I I only expect it to get worse and yeah. like I'm not going to waste my time on that. Even if I like the stealth combat system, I'm not going to I'm not going to do that. Yeah, so uh that is that that's it for Blood West. Probably the last we're going to be talking about that. Uh Patrick, you have been playing Venba. Yeah, um just came out. Uh it's a That's like we saw that we saw that in like uh one of the the Games Fest things, right? That's a cooking game. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a uh narrative uh very narrative centric cooking game about a um uh, a couple that uh you know uh immigrates from uh India into Canada and has a very difficult time like getting a cut like finding jobs, finding friends. They uh essentially kind of you know came over to you know have a different life like have a more ambitious life and what they find is that they have lost a lot of themselves in the process and are considering uh moving back like maybe none of this was worth it and uh we'll just we'll just we'll just head back to where we'll be closer to our friends and family anyway and what they discover is that the reason the wife has been feeling ill recently is because she's pregnant and then they are forced to confront well wasn't the whole reason we came here for the chance at a different life. Maybe that calculation is different, um, even if we're unhappy uh, with a child on the way. And the story ultimately becomes about that child's very complicated relationship with their their roots, their traditions, like, you know, the family wants to, you know, remember where they're from. And the child wants to just be quote normal at school and the things that like are part that are being, you know, celebrated uh, by uh, his parents are things that make him feel like an outsider. And so this is explored both through like really lovingly animated and uh, written cutscenes, And then also uh, fairly frequent cooking. Uh, I mean, they are games. They're, they're like mild puzzles is what I would call them. Like a lot of the structure of, of what it is, is like you're, you're playing as the mother trying to recreate uh, recipes from back home that your mother uh, uh, wrote down. But over time, that cookbook has taken a beating. Things have spilled on it. Pages have ripped. And so you can see the outlines of a recipe in front of you. But then it is up to you as the player to sort of in- interpret and play with what that recipe might be. So it arrives at, you know, the one that, you know, makes you feel like you're you're at home. And so... It's just just really fascinating, touching, frequently sad exploration of of uh, sort of the immigrant experience on on like two different generations. It's unfortunately and unfortunately, it's extremely short. Um, I say unfortunately, not because I don't think it tells a complete story or sort of sets out what it wants to do, but I I wanted more from this world. I I, I don't think they necessarily gloss over some details, but I would have loved more context, more time with these people. It's the, you know, it's the nature of probably a good story that it gets in and gets out, tells what it needs to do and moves on. But I mean, this is, we're talking like 90 minutes, right? And I, I'm not asking this game to be 10 hours, but I would have loved three, four hours. Um, the, the, like the design of the, of the cooking puzzles is like really interesting. I would have, I would have done twice as many of those. The, um, all the characters are just really interesting. Their struggles are really interesting. And it's just a, it's just a, it's very different, um, but in a way that I 
I would highly recommend. It's it's mm-hmm. unlike anything I have played recently, and especially in contrast to a game like Final Fantasy 16, where ha, I'm gonna spend the next 40 hours figuring out how I feel about a game that about halfway through you realize you're pretty ambivalent about. Uh, Venba stands out aesthetically, mechanically, narratively, and you're done in under two hours. I mean, mm-hmm. it was the kind of thing I noticed how how short it was when. Uh, Sometimes I like check a trophy or an achievement and it's like that'll give me a, some sense of like how far I am into a game. And I checked like the third one. It was like 63% done. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I had no idea that it was sh- that short. Um, uh, it, it definitely came to a surprise for me when I, I finished it in a single sitting. But mm-hmm. um, if you go into that, into the game, knowing that it's going to be that kind of bite sized uh, experience, I think you'll you'll have a slightly better time with the way where it arrives at the, at its conclusion. But um, yeah, just a very non-traditional narrative as well. Just not really something that we're something that you don't usually see because how, where, how do you build the mechanics around it? Right? Like how, like why, why is it a game versus a story in any other medium? And I think that's often the struggle with games that want to tell stories like this is you end up overplaying the mechanical elements or inventing things that end up feeling fantastical outside the realm of the story you're trying to tell there's like nothing fantastic about this story. It's 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 not it's not someone imagining like uh, it's just you're just cooking and you're making beautiful food. A lot of which I've never seen before, um, but came out of it going. If there was a PDF to download, I would I would maybe want to make uh, some of these afterwards. Um, and it's just always neat to play to see this uh, much like watching the bear. I think the bear gives you more of an appreciation for what it takes to make food as opposed to like the food, like the food itself. I mean, it's definitely food porny, but not, it's not like luxuriating in these shots of food. Um, like some cooking shows might be, whereas this one is very much like basking in what the food looks like, what it smells like. And like the emotion, the emotional connections that people have, uh, to food. So yeah, really good. I think it's out on basically everything. I played it on PlayStation, but, um, it's it's awesome. Not surprised to, to hear you're like left one because I, I feel like those stories of like there's multi generational elements of it. There's like the immigrant experience, which is an experience that plays out across time and and generations. Yeah. It's not surprising that like you come out of this feeling like I could have done with a lot more, uh, but certainly better to be left like wanting more. Uh, but yeah, that sounds that sounds that sounds really terrific. Uh, definitely, definitely check that out. Last thing I want to touch on real quick before we get into the question bucket. Uh, Kyle and I played on stream the first episode of the Telltale Expanse series made by Deck Nine. And Kyle, did you just out of curiosity, did you end up playing, uh, starting your own save? No, not fact? yet. I figured we were just going to talk about this first episode, but I will once the, cause it's, it is episodic, right? Like we yeah. did that first one in basically an hour, right? Yeah, and I think they've got all the episodes queued up. It's going to be a pretty rapid fire. That's the new. That's the new pattern with these styles of games. Yeah. Smart. To finish the games and then the episodes because if you play the earlier Life is Strange, like that game, those games came out over the course of a year plus, and it, yeah. you got really disconnected from the narrative. And so now the new structure for these types of games is to either drop them all at once, like Life is Strange True Colors, just had everything you know in the download or mm-hmm. in the disc, whereas here. You're getting a, uh, I think, one month at a time for five episodes or something like that. I think, I think at least this first part, it's like a week. Uh, it's it's gonna be. Oh fast. wow! Okay, that's cool. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they have a faster cadence here at the the front loading part because the first mm-hmm. the first episode does feel just like setup, uh, which is yeah. so. 
this will make a lot more sense to fans of the expanse i'll try to make it parsable to folks who haven't checked it out before though you probably wouldn't be too interested in this game unless you're bought in on the expanse the world of the expanse is one where like Earth is a declining but still great power that has destroyed its environment, but uh, has a great deal of wealth and resources uh, just from, you know, being humanity's home. Mars is colonized and has become uh, a sort of highly militarized, high tech society uh, forged by the danger and difficulty of terraforming and surviving on Mars. But both powers rely on the resources of the asteroid belt and the moons in the outer uh, solar system. And all of that requires a huge exploited labor force, uh, the belters, who effectively they're absolutely necessary to make both societies function. And they're absolutely living in squalor and constant danger because not only are they working in conditions of like a 18th century like open pit mine in terms of danger and and uh like exploitation but also it's deep space and so the the margins for survival are are vanishingly small and so like literally you know in in the books and the tv show one of the things that is a real bone of contention or these are like the way the belters conceive of their struggles that literally uh, breathable air is a resource that is imported out to the belt and like literally there are times they don't have enough air to to be healthy uh you know and and that's the 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 fault of the the inners that, that keep them in that situation yeah ren so also correct me if i'm wrong but isn't the one of the other things that like belters because of growing up in space are like almost basically basically physiologically incapable of being on so for significant periods of time, we talked about this on the stream, actually, because mm. it's a it's a funny thing from the books versus the uh, TV show. The books make a huge deal out of this and the books are quite fun. I, I, I highly recommend highly recommend them. The books make a very big deal out of uh, the fact that multiple generations like being born in deep space and growing up and working there uh, has created like physiological differences uh, just from like, yes, how, how the, the structure of the human body forms, the musculature forms, uh, you know, like growing up in, in the belt, the TV show for obvious reasons couldn't really do that because we don't have a ready supply of <laughs> people who are physiologically different in the way that you get when you are born and live your entire life in deep space. Just a casting call for long boys. Uh, <laughs> people, I don't know if it was a joke, but people in the chat said that, like, in the early season, they did try to, like, well, hire did. extras. Yeah. And then they just kind of gave up on it because it was, like, it's hard to keep, like, <laughs> to keep uh, bringing people in like that. Yeah. Well, from what I saw of the first season of The Expanse, the most, like, arresting image from the first season of The Expanse, at least for me, was the person undergoing gravity torture uh, in yeah. uh, the in the UN facility. Yes, yes. Uh, like her wa- <laughs> and seeing the person just like bones stretched and hung over like metal rods was just like fucking haunting. Yeah. Um. So it's a really compelling image. Yeah, and like the the game seems to sort of be striking a, a balance it's it's in that like telltale animated style and so mm-hmm. all the characters have a slight doll-like quality 
And it does feel like they have a little bit of the physiological differentiation between mm -hmm. the between the people. But it also looks like it could still be the cartoon version of the TV show. You play a fan favorite character, uh, Drummer. She is a belter who has, like, in the, in the world of the show, she is a character who has been part of and expelled from just about every radical group in the belt. She has run with and then had contracts taken out on her life by every like pirate group in the belt. Like she Fuck is, yeah. she is the type of character that like, uh, has profound convictions that, you know, cause mm -hmm. her to sign up for things and then inevitably cause schisms, uh, and is also like a, a exactly the kind of hard case that is built to like lead people and survive in the, in the belt. What if there was a girl who sucked? Uh, there's there are times yeah there's there's times where definitely like that is that is the pitch for her for her character naturally everyone loves her and she ends up being one of the one of the show's major heroes and she's she's played in the show and voiced here by Kara uh, Kara Gee uh, who is one of the actors on the show who absolutely understood what they were going for with like the dialect and uh, like uh, like Creole language they, they, they designed for the show. And so was able to play utterly convincingly speaking a different, like a different dialect of, of English in, in, in all her scenes. There are only a few actors who were really good enough to pull this off where it was, <laughs> it was readily parsable. Jared Harris was one where like he could, he could deliver those lines and it sounded like Shakespeare. Uh, and, um, Oh, David Stray, Strayhorn, uh, the, you know, kind of the, the, the character, the, the captain, uh, the, the drummer works with on, in the, oh, in the second, uh, not, not Dawes, but, but his, um, He's like uh, not contemporary, but like he felt like a, a kind of foil to Dawes. Something, oh yeah. fuck, I, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> he was a cool anyway. guy. Yeah, he he also yes, he also had a stellar performance in that show. So this takes place. Uh, I haven't totally pinned down exactly where it takes place, but you are playing drummer during one of her periods of exile from radical belter politics. She is on a shit heap, treasure hunting, scavenging ship. Uh, out in deep space, and in the first episode, they encounter something. They 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 go Ashford. to recover a Ashford. Yes, Ashford, <laughs> incredible character. Uh, yeah, holds together like two seasons. It's amazing. Yeah. So in this, the she's aboard the scavenger ship. It's got a crew that's from all over the solar system. They're led by uh, you know, an, an Earther. One of their, uh, their their medic is an Earther. They have a Martian aboard the ship, and they have uh, you know they have drummer and a few belters, and they go to recover a wreck, and they discover a really creepy haunted house. Uh, <laughs> the ship was like raided by pirates, and the crew of human uh, naval officers brutally executed, and like bodies mangled for like display. Uh, yeah. And then something really credit like the ship was protecting something, a MacGuffin. And this is really the setup for what is going to be this this 
run of episodes set in the Expanse world. What was the ship doing out here? What was the terrible secret it was it was guarding? Uh, but also in this first episode, like all the crew is introduced, and the big choice you have at the end is your captain betrays you. It opens on this guy being put in the airlock, and the question at the end is, are you going to spare his life uh, and keep him around despite the fact he betrayed you, or are you going to space him? Which feels like a major decision. Like, like it feels like either they write him out in some way, shape, or form, uh, or this the story is going to fork pretty dramatically uh, yeah. right from the jump. Overall, like, it's cool Expanse vibes. Uh, floating yeah. around your spaceship when you're doing scavenging is cool. There's a moment where they have you just, like, walk up the walls and ceiling of the spaceship because there's no gravity, so you can just do that. And it is a moment that's like, damn, that's that that feels really good. There's a lot, there's, like, as it went along and the characters got a little more established and we got into it, I warmed up to it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I do feel like it's one of those games where you have, t- like, Cargi uh, is a TV actor. Sometimes doesn't feel like she is a great voice actor, but then again, it feels like voice direction may have been an issue for this game because there's a couple performances, one in particular, yeah. that really take you out of it. Like, like I am somebody... It feels like when there's bad voice acting, it's like one of the things you can do to most take me out of a game. It's it's like it it immediately makes you think like this is not gonna be a carefully made experience because like somebody don't, heard don't play Remnant two don't play oh, Remnant shit. two <laughs> gonna have a problem with Remnant two. <laughs> well, actually, that big lady though the big yeah she, she that. That was good voice acting. It's fine. The game's not about that. <laughs> but but yeah, so like there there's a couple places where it's like it it feels like the show is straddling this the, the game straddling a line between hey, this is tied to the show and we got some people from the show, the people you would most want from the show maybe are here. Yeah. But then also we've got some like second tier video game uh performance stuff happening. And I'm curious you know, where, how this is all going to play out, whether the, this is the thing that's going to pick up momentum and get more buy-in as you go along, or you're always going to be hit that fric- hitting that friction of like, this feels like a, a, a knockoff version of the expanse in a way that I don't like. I don't know. Like Kata, what was your, cause you love that TV show. What, yeah. was, what was your vibe? It, it was, it was interesting because, you know, because they did get carried, uh, G, you said I always. I sometimes I say G. Sometimes so I do I. I I've never actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because they got her, it was like okay, like yeah. There are there are times when like it feels like the recording was a little off, but it's still you can still tell it's her. So like it's like okay, I yeah. I'm I'm back in this world that I that I've enjoyed, and she's like pulling me into it, and then. There was that moment where uh, I think it was, she, it was just like a memory, right? She was remembering, or was she listening? To, I forget exactly, but she was. Um, we had the the person who was played by, uh, oh God, what's his name? The guy mm. who was also in and uh, Jared, oh, Jared Harris. Harris. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, Anderson Dawes come up, and it's like a completely different voice, right? And it's this weird thing of like if they hadn't gotten Kara. 
it feels yeah. like maybe I wouldn't care that they hadn't gotten Jared. But at a certain that, point, the the voices like overlapping feel like it, it like makes the like makes the fact that it's not him anymore stand out again. I don't know. It's, but it's also one of those things I think where if like the performance is good enough, you don't really care that much about the difference. Like in um, right, you know, sure. when yeah. when Tim Curry has to take over Palpatine in Clone Wars, it's a different voice. But it, mm-hmm. he, he sells you on it, right? Because he's right. good at this kind of work. Right. And part right. of it is just you need to be able to make the performance yours in some way. It doesn't yeah. feel like they found a – it, it feels like they hadn't dialed in on on Dawes, which is an important thing because in the world of the show, this is a very big character. And yeah. one of the things about him is that he's magnetic, that like a lot of people know he's a bastard. And yet they can't quite help but let themselves be seduced by him. Yeah. Uh, and then you hear him in this in this game, and you're like, "This guy sucks." Him? <laughs> like, I don't know, him, this that guy. guy? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> not not exactly the stuff of uh, like like men and women will die for this this man. No, it's not. That's not what you pick up. Uh, yeah, like, but again, mm-hmm. a lot of times these table setting episodes, they haven't maybe they haven't, you, know, you haven't necessarily rolled out all your major characters. I'm yeah. I'm curious where it goes. By the like there, the first ten minutes, I almost bailed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was rough. One of the very earliest characters that they introduce has a particularly like kind of like, ooh, this doesn't feel like even the right like vibe. But also, it sounds kind of like a rough, uh, a weird, an odd choice to make for the uh, an older character who's supposed to sound kind of gruff, and then. Uh, Made again another difference made stark by them getting another one of the people from the expanse. Um, uh, Shura, Harris, uh, yeah, Shura, yeah. Ag- yeah, who plays Christian Avasarala in the show, recorded voice lines for this. And you know, she used to be in Destiny, she's done the voice yeah. acting thing before. Her performance was great, like it was, it was pitch yeah. perfect. Shura, was like, yeah, 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 and this um, is and one of the great like, voices we of our time, yeah, 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 yeah she's. It sounds so distinct uh, that you you instantly know that it has to be her, and um, it's just like like they it's like they it they know where it's good, but like can't make can't pull it out of the other yeah. voice actors as much, um, which is a, a little unfortunate. It just creates that little extra bit of kind of like pulling me out of this the situation, yeah. um, but I do think the like. They've got a. They got a. It feels like they've got a solid handle on the sort of, um, the sort of drama that the expanse is, right? The, the sort of like, just kind of tensions of that world and the the choice of whether or not to sp- kill this guy doesn't feel like the sort of like video game me choice of like if you kill them you're a badass and if you don't you're not a badass you're like merciful that's not what that choice is about in this world it's not what the choice is about in this game probably right the only reason you would let him live is that he says like he has information that could lead to further supplies and gain in in a world where to, to a lot of people, especially Belters, that means survival, right? It's he not doesn't just even like, plead mercy, which I appreciate. N- In his moment, yeah. he's pleading for his life. Everyone here knows the moral appeal isn't the one that's going to carry the day here. No, it's just all that not. exists out here is self interest, and I dig yes. that. Yeah, that, like having the choice not be, are you going to listen to the angel on your shoulder or the devil on your shoulder? And instead, right. being like, what do you think best serves your interests as you exactly. de- define them through this game so far? 
Yeah, and that that is very much the kind of style of story that the Expanse tells. So like, I think they're nice. on, off to a solid start there. And yeah, of course, really curious to see where those threads diverge and whether or not like what the what the end end. I, I need to know what happens when you don't space them. Like I I want to not space yeah. them in my run through just to just to see because it feels like that that feels like it could be very different. And I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, is there is there any reason to play that if you have no connection to the TV series? I think it's harder. I think it's I a like, lot I like harder. These sti- I like these styles of games, and so I will play most of them that come along. But this first the, episode, I, I feel like, doesn't make a compelling enough pitch on its own. Necessarily, it does mm. lean a little bit on people knowing stuff. I don't. Hey, the TV show people are here, but, sort of. Yeah, but okay. maybe by the end, we'll see. You know, like I think it does yeah. start off. I could in the, in the, right the second one. But, I think we'll really know because right yeah. now I would say like I could see this being a great onboarding point if you're not familiar with the story because like it effectively this first episode hinges on a, a haunted house in space and yeah. like a, a mystery that could happen anywhere. <laughs> Which is is workable. The question is whether or not episode two builds on that or whether episode two, which would still still be good. But if episode two is still like part of this is just how it all ties together to the rest of the expanse, then that's a very different type of show. And I don't know. I don't know what kind of game we're we're dealing with yet. Uh, But hey, we're running a little long and we have a stack of porn emails to get into. So uh, <laughs> we are going to... Uh, by the way, if you don't want to hear people talking about video store uh, porn sections, uh, you know, you, you can cut it <laughs> off here. If you want to share us uh, you know, other thoughts and stories and ask questions, uh, send your questions to questions at remapradio.com and uh, we, will, we will do our best to answer them. But let's let's dig in <laughs> on a different podcast, not this yeah, one. Not this one. No, this is the hog cast. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> our first our, cast, our first one uh, comes from uh, Yoakum. Hi, Remap Radio crew. In last week's episode, you were discussing the economics of the video rental business. I worked in a mom and pop video store in a small Dutch town in the 90s. Official rental movie releases were way more expensive than the retail version and uh, and would need to be rented over 20 times to break even. Porn, on the other hand, only required to be rented a couple of times to do the same. That's yeah. why the porn section was the most profitable. It was always fun to see men meticulously browse the porn section and <laughs> after they found the three videos that matched their weekly thirst – grabbed a random normal (laughs) movie on their way to the register to hide that they were only there for the porn. There were plenty of awkward moments when friends of my parents would come in for porn and see me at the register. My most vivid memory of the time at the video store uh, was the one time a Protestant pastor came in to rent the Jodie Foster classic (laughs) Nell. The next day, the pastor's wife called the store to tell us that when they watched the movie with the family, they noticed it wasn't about a young woman who had to face other people for the first time after being raised by her her mother in an isolated cabin. The video was definitely about a young woman, but she did other stuff. For obvious reasons, the video (laughs) cases were empty in the store and using a four-digit code corresponded to the accompanying tape. Apparently, we were off by 100 and accidentally put a porn video in the Nell box. No! Fuck capitalism, people don't rewind. (laughs) Jay, 
You can be honest oh, with us here. Wow. Did you accidentally do home? that? Or did you think it would be very funny to send the pastor's wife home with not knowing? <laughs> oh, my also, God. How far did they get into this movie? You know, you know what I mean? I'm right. wondering how long did I they watch like the you porno before they abandoned? You know, I feel like they would too. Um, I'm just curious, like maybe like, oh, you know, maybe this movie's starting inappropriately. We'll just we'll fast forward. Oh, it's staying inappropriate. Like, <laughs> how long was the eject button? On I feel that like you film? would. I feel like you would know when you touch the VHS, just like vibes wise, <laughs> like it, like it's a cursed ooh. object. You would be like, ooh. <laughs> uh, so. You got another email here from Will. I spent the back half of my college career working at Family Video from early 2015 through the end Family of Family Video. Let's go. Movie Family lovers video. love, motherfucker. I can't quite speak to specific financial numbers on adult rentals. I never rose to manager, nor would I have wanted to. But I can tell you what the experience was like that late into the company's run. In addition to working my t- at my college store, I also worked summers and various other breaks uh, at, at the one in my hometown, along with picking up a couple of shifts at other locations when they needed someone to fill in temporarily. Every single location I ever worked at had a handful of regular clients who would only come in for porn. They'd rent several movies at a time, none of which, if I'm remembering correctly, qualified for any of the bundle rental deals, rent three, get one, etc., that would save the big renters some cash. They'd also frequently my grandma's a big renter. They'd also frequently buy whatever we had put on sale to make room for the new titles. One regular would frequently come in about 25 minutes before close with food from the subplace down the street and whoever was wor- uh, for whoever was working and regularly drop up to $100 buying whatever we had newly marked for sale. God, I'm getting no st- no, so nostalgic what? for like the corner the corner strip mall type thing where you'd like pop so- in and like grab your snacks and like go to the rental store, grab the rentals and like take off. Good times. Good times. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I'm obsessed with the dick patron who comes into the family video and is like, I brought you a sandwich, so you'll feel less weird when I hand you a hundred dollars for all of this porn. No, no, no. They were coming in. <laughs> these are regular porn. tapes. These are coming right? in for the regular tapes. These are just like these are oh. these are regular movies. This is someone building a library off discounted oh, okay, so, like rental copies that are now for sale. Sorry. This is my grandmother. Okay, sorry. I I'd like to correct. Yeah, my grandmother. I also very different it was vibe. Specifically about porn. Very no, we haven't gotten vibe. to the porn part. I was so excited for this to be a porn. Very. Uh, yeah. Very, I think it, I think it does hit different if someone's like, "Hey, brought you the spicy Italian." Here's a hundred dollars for some of the foul yeah, stuff. Can you, can you hand can you hand me spicy Italian volume volume four? Yeah. Anyway, back to Will. But while porn uh, helped keep the lights on for family video, that wasn't how the company stayed afloat for years after its competitors. As I was told when I started, the whole store basically blossomed into an excuse for Family Video's parent company to enter real estate. They owned the lot and building for every location, which is why the buildings basically always looked exactly the same and would rent out and to other lots to various businesses. Addendum, right. Usually, Sorry, that's... Th- mm-hmm. Usually to Zoom Tan. So, that's... Every, yeah, that every family video does look the same and does have an additional area that they do rent out. The one in my town was a pizza place. Like, I, they, I, this had... 
That's this was the vision. fucking brilliant. Are you kidding? <laughs> Eventually, me? Family Video expanded into selling phone accessories, Cricket wireless plans, CBD gummies, and more non-video stuff as demand for disc rentals tightened. I was gone before the phone plans of the CBD craze rolled around. They also tried selling digital copies that came with the discs we'd rent out, a program that couldn't have lasted more than a year before it was quietly shut down. A decision, I'm sure, involved several lawyers. COVID basically accelerated the death of family video, since I'm assuming owning the building doesn't do a lot of good if no one can go get a spray tan or whatever. But I was I was on the horizon. It was on the horizon when I left. By the way, in nearly two years of employment there, I only rented out adult content to a single woman who picked up after work on a Friday night and told me it was for her husband. I hope she's having a great day, wherever she is. I'll leave you with a couple so memories what? of my first day on the job where a regional manager showed me and two other new hires around the store. He had prepared he had a prepared line for the adult section that I'm not sure was his own creation or company wide thing. A lot of people ask us why we rent adult videos if we're supposed to be family video. We'd like to say we have something for everyone in the family. <laughs> the same manager would later describe the dress code as button up and tie for men and dressing how you dress when going on a date with that man for women. Something that was also written in the actual family video employee handbook. Yeah, that very cool. <laughs> I'm so wow. fucking pissed that we were denied a good world <laughs> in which we got the combination family video weed store. Oh Are my you God, fucking kidding me? Kidding me? <laughs> the world in which you walk into the same building, that would have saved the oh. video rental industry. I mean, <laughs> if, if you had given people weed, there's a weed store that I go to in New York, shout out, that has a free dab. Every day you can walk in there wow. and get, and take a free hit. If you did that at a family video, <laughs> you would make so much fucking money. Are they you, just could have lasted a little longer. Kidding me? <laughs> I mean, I would. I, so I'm I'm not super into weed, but the like I always um there are some uh, Whole Foods where there's a bar, and so you'll like see people like with a glass of wine while they're shopping and you can take it out and then, and I want, I just want like a glass of scotch and just a bunch of VHS tapes. And I just want to walk up and down the aisles, turning them over, looking at them. just a little museum, but a family video. Like I want to, I would just reconstruct a family video. Let me drink there. Uh, they would have like a little screening room. You could take it in there, go watch a movie with a bud. And like, this is great. I want this. I want this life. This sounds I'm like a really so compelling business plan, actually. Yeah, I'm actually I'm actually kind of staggered by how good the two business ideas we've stumbled upon are. I, if anyone has one million US dollars. We need more than that. <laughs> but let's start there. Yeah, let's start, start there. Start there. Because you really, you really have to nail the decor and design of the whole vibe. It has to feel yeah, like nice, yeah, but not yeah. too nice. You know, it's like, hey, let's go into the screening room. But like, can't be too fancy. Uh, <laughs> all right, so you don't need that for the weed store. No, for sure, for sure. Uh, Josh writes several lifetimes ago, between 2003 and 2005, I worked for Blockbuster's main competitor in the U.S. Hollywood Video. As a yep, lowly, remember that one? Yep, I think I think the one in my town was box office. Uh, but anyway. As a lowly guest service representative, I wasn't trusted with detailed financial information or even the keys to the cash drawer. But I can tell you from experience that the bulk of our income had to come from two evenings a week, Friday and Saturday. 
is the largest branch in the state of Michigan called the Movie Library Store. I'll get to that in a minute. Most of the time we got by with just two people, sometimes three to cover breaks, minding the shop. Come the weekend, however, we'd have all six tills staffed and in action for hours without stop. The rush would last from after school got out until 9.30 or 10 o'clock as hordes of suburban Ann Arborites rushed out to rent a copy of Kill Bill. When it came to late fees, Hollywood Video differentiated itself in that it didn't require you to pay your fees in order to continue renting. Still owe us $62 for that time you left the Italian job in the trunk of your dad's car? Not a problem. You can get us next time. Wink. It was a strange policy. We'd send accounts out for collection eventually. I don't remember the figure, but it was a very high threshold. And I'd say most people insisted on paying their fees out of a sense of responsibility. That said, we had a dozen or so customers owing for anywhere from a couple thousand to tens of thousands of dollars in rental fees, (laughs) all while continuing to rent like it wasn't a problem. And it wasn't. The only real issue was that loading some of these customer customer accounts took an eternity on, on our shitty piece of shit terminals. Some of the customers knew this and would check in at the desk when they arrived so we could get the process started on an unused terminal while they browsed. That's so fucking funny. We, we also had the individual discretion to clear fees, and our store was pretty lenient in this regard. Sure, corporate was always slapping our wrists for clearing too many fees, but they partly pitched it as part of their, their larger customer retention strategy. Plus, what did I care? As a privileged teenager working for gas and video game money and free movie rentals, it wasn't worth my six fifty an hour to engage with Karen because her son forgot to drop off Pirates of the Caribbean on his way to school. I just wasn't going to do it. Perhaps late fees occupied a sizable chunk of income, but compared to the sheer volume of transactions over the weekend, the fact we were a bunch of softies when it came to late fees, I can't see them being the base of any revenue model. Our store manager would tell us that we were a million-dollar store. That is, we made over a million dollars in profit each year. New releases were three seventy nine a pop, and if we ran a few thousand rentals over the weekend, that put us well over $6 million, even if you don't count the rest of the week. Fees were just a quarterly bonus. As a sidebar, Hollywood Video didn't offer an official porno section. This was a family-friendly video a company, after all. But strangely enough, we had a modest hentai collection that sat out on the shelves in the same locked boxes which video, in which video what? games were stored. As the movie library for the state of Michigan, our branch was the repository for a sizable collection of foreign, indie, and other more obscure VHS and DVD materials. I think the idea was that the company could downsize and focus most branches on new releases while keeping a central repository of older films at a single location. As a result, we had a lot of racier material than what you'd find at your regular old run-of-the-mill Hollywood video. The only catch was that we didn't have any way to share the materials with other branches. So even if we had that copy of obscure, sexy French film, you're shit out of luck if you live on the other side of the state. My assumption is that our bespoke hentai collection was part of this. Some corporate executives saw something about cartoons or anime and decided that we should have these in the store, or it may, be, may have been the initiative of our, of our assistant manager, who seemed suspiciously knowledgeable about its contents. Either way, we had it, and it was just there on the shelves, right next to the video games, where all the kids would hang out. In my entire movie store career, I cannot recall ever issuing one of these to a customer. I did sneak one out once. Turns out it wasn't for me. <laughs> uh, uh two stories one there was a hollywood video um 
like there were two video stores we would go to, a Hollywood video and a family video. And basically, if we were seeking out something in particular, those are the two we'd bounce between. And just whichever one had it, hopefully they had what we wanted to go home with. Um, and the Hollywood video, we would frequent a lot, especially for video games, because they knew I was really, really into video games. And they to the point where and the people working there did not care that much about video games. But they would keep the like the retail bonuses that they got for game shipments like standees or T-shirts and then like give that to me when I came in. So I I got this like big Donkey Kong Country shirt that was like (laughs) seven sizes too big for like my age. I had these like other weird game standees like they were the nicest fucking people and like we're so excited to show me the thing behind the desk whenever we would come in on like a Friday. Um, just like the, whatever, you know, junky crap came with the, the game that week. I had the, I had a very similar relationship to the people at my, at my local family video where they were like, anytime there was like a cool man, I got the Skyrim map. Uh, they like gave me Hell like yeah. any, any manuals I wanted. They were like, sure, go for it. We really don't care. Uh, they would let us know in advance if there was like a particular like new release coming up. They would be like, hey, we'll, ha- we'll hold that one for you if you ask us to. Uh, they were they were r- real. I mean, I did see them quite literally every single day. So <laughs> I would I would hope that we built a rapport even at age six. But um, yeah, the, shout out to shout out to folks at fam- uh, Family Video and various video rental stores who who know their who know who their friends are at that location. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The um the other story that comes to mind is for a summer when I was pretty young. I was a teenager. Um I it wasn't an internship. I just like worked at this like computer job at an airline because my a family member worked there and it was like good money, but I had to be there every morning at, like 5:30. It was so fucking early to be there and just sit at this computer terminal and all I did for like six, seven hours a day was I was tasked with um, like there were employees that were trying to use their like it used to be that like airline employees, longtime airline employees um, could fly for free on standby. Um, that is no longer a policy. Some people have been grandfathered into it. But like anyway, like sometimes they would get charged for a flight and. Uh, my job was to determine whether it was something that should have been refunded or uh, like the employee discount or, you know, waitlist thing applied. And I hated this job. I hated being there. I want to do anything else. So I just refunded everybody. I Fuck just yeah. never even looked. I, I I know there was I know there was nobody looking. Like <laughs> nobody was checking this work because it was just a pile of things that were like. 18 months old like they would just hand me stacks of like please just go through this and figure out who's owed a refund and i said they're all owed a refund so i could like, you're so fast at this like i sure am patrick you probably saved someone's life that that refund probably gave someone enough money to pay for a medical expense you know what? <laughs> just like law of large numbers i think i think i think you really had someone's back i am a hero I you are a hero back. Speaking of heroes, uh, so if people know of any downsides to this, these following emails, please let us know. We're not endorsing this, but it does seem relevant to a conversation we had last week because there's a few different versions of this. Kyle E. writes, long time emailer, first time listener. (laughs) 
I was I was also surprised by the recent and sudden disappearance of the pine cat litter from Trader Joe's. I brought this up to a friend oh, of mine, God. and they tipped me off to the fact that it's almost identical to horse breeding pine pellets. What after you what? you know what? Just let just think about it. I think you'll you'll Sorry, you'll, you'll you'll get it. After oh, having tried yeah. it, the it wet. is remarkable how indistinguishable it is. More importantly, it's around seven dollars for forty pounds. Kind of was furiously what? typing. I just I just what? want to be clear that to the to the audience that cannot see any of this. Su- like, Kato's eyes are bulging and they are furiously typing to you see if they can. We're not done yet. Yeah. We're not done yet. Seven seven dollars for forty pounds of litter. Are you fucking kidding? Nathan writes for Ren and Kato with regard to the cat litter. Look into the pine pallet stall bedding. It's not marketed as a cat litter, but it sounds exactly like what Kato was talking about. I use tractor supply pine pallet stall bedding. And with a 40-pound bag for $8, it's even cheaper. I even flush my cat's leavings right into the sewer system, sewer system safely. Mm, I don't know about that. And only change the litter once every week or so. And with the way the wood expands, it lasts for ages. I could never go back to using any other normal cat litter. That's so expensive and worse on every metric. This stuff is just as good as Kato described it. It's unreal how much better it is in every way. No odor, no dust, perfection. Quick thing. Lots of things will go down a toilet. Doesn't mean you should be flushing them. <laughs> yeah, no. Sorry. Um, but but that because like I've tried other. There are there's specific like everyone's seen feline pine. It ain't the same shit. It's totally. I don't understand what the fuck how feline pine fucked it up. But these the the the, the TJ's specific pine pellets were beautiful. Oh my god. I don't know where I would put forty pounds of this thing. <laughs> I unfortunately, well, Kato, that a, that's a that's a fun problem to solve. Right, right. Actually, Cato. Oh my we god. We did recently rent a storage unit. <laughs> I need a, I need a new pickup from the storage unit. We're gonna drop off this giant bag. But six. That I mean that makes sense for what the yeah the price of a single like five pound bag was like. Three ninety nine, and it seemed ridiculous. I was like, "How are they getting away with this?" It turns out it's even cheaper. Look than at that. what Ren. Look at what Ren found. What? Something being sold as horse bedding, but Ren, when you zoom in on the box of the horse bedding, what do you see? <laughs> That's a cat. That's, That's a, a cat. cat. They put a cat on it's the box. It's a product called Oco Cat. <laughs> Oco Cat. What the fuck is Oco Cat? My guess is it's a foreign brand of cat litter that yep. now the, loop, the cycle is complete. There are now like farmers who are like, this shit's great for your horse stall. Yeah. Yeah. It's gone. It's looped back around. No, this is this is 20 bucks for how many pounds is this? I don't know. 20 I, pounds. I know, a pound, a pound a buck. It's not not the best, but no, I it's wonder. Not, it's not it's not good. But also, if you search pine pellet bedding, if you search pine pellet, yeah, search pine pellet bedding, the first thing that shows up is four cat litter. Sorry, it's the it's the fifth autocomplete is pine pellet bedding for cat litter. Um, for cat litter. For cat litter. God, I, I I will be having a conversation with my girlfriend when I get home. Yeah, I have to try. I have to try because yeah, I've been burned by other specifically packaged specifically i'm calling out feline pine feline pine not a good brand don't get it it doesn't work it doesn't work the way that tj's did work 
Well, I'm, 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 I'm excited to get this 40 pound report bag back. Fig- yeah. Report back. And <laughs> people know any reason why, like if there's one thing where like, maybe it's like <sighs> some of this stuff has to be treated differently to be pet safe. That's worth knowing. But this is certainly in, in look, look, even on the, on the, on the one that's just called tractor supply pine pellet stall thing. The one that Rob linked that bag has a horse, a rabbit and a cat on it. Yep. It's for, <laughs> it's for, uh, it's for all our four legged friends. Uh, quick thing. Well, just to, uh, to, yeah. 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 I was just going to say each bag contains a hundred percent natural pine, no glue or binders. That so, seems safe to the point though, <laughs> about like, uh, yeah. like what we choose to flush. So like these things tend to t- like material that shouldn't go into that sewer system tends to create mm-hmm. clogs downstream and right. cities end up spending fortunes clearing like really bad and like nightmarish clogs from their systems because like it doesn't immediately clog things up stuff accumulates and becomes yeah. like a a, blo- a major blockage in like backbone sewer systems the bane of like modern municipal sewer systems is flushable wipes they aren't flushable they they don't degrade enough to actually dissolve in the sewer system. They just don't. But they're sold as flushable wipes, and people are encouraged to be like, hey, this is useful if you have like a baby or whatever. It's just a useful thing to have, and it goes right down right down the toilet, no problem. No huge problem, because the tissue never breaks down. And it becomes, uh, like, there's so much of the stuff being used that it creates, like, massive, uh, like, backups yeah. in sewer systems. Or... They're called... In if you want to see them, if you want to see them, Google Fatberg. Yeah, because it's it's also like certain fats will co- co- right. coagulate this way and help the other more other solids also coagulate. But they're called yeah. Well, called, especially because the because the things like the wipe are like perfect little catches for other yeah. types of things that would have flowed flowed past, and so you end up like a with a real like uh, like. Uh, Vicious cycle, I guess, is the the, the thing I would, I would go to. The other thing is uh, it causes issues in apartment buildings. Like we've had like it is a thing that has come up a few times in our building where like people on the lower floors are like, you guys need to stop flushing stuff that shouldn't be flushed because you're killing us. Yeah. Uh, so just FY, just a little PSA about uh, about what what goes down, what goes down that hole. All right. Uh, last email here uh, from Waz. How far is too far to travel for work on a daily basis? Regards, Waz was considering moving to a place an hour on average away from work each way. This is a big question. I think we. I, I think assume we're driving, right? That is my. I assumption. think this is a big because that is those are radically different things, yeah. right? Like an hour in. A bus or a train where you can work, play a game, you know, do do other things. I think that 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 would that would extend it quite a bit. I mean, my my wife travels to the city sometimes for for work, and that's you know forty five fifty minutes, depending if she gets in an express train or not. And that's not unreasonable, but she can sit and do shit right on a train. Yeah, that makes a huge fucking difference. I used to work. Um. It was like about thirty five minutes from where I, where I lived driving, and it was like that was the that was the top edge of it. I couldn't have driven mm-hmm. further, uh, 
even just like it wasn't even that far, but it was trafficking enough. It, it uh, if it was completely clear. So that's also a question. Yeah, if it was completely like, clear and, road, I would probably get there in fifteen minutes. But thirty five minutes of being like stuck for half of that time, just like not barely moving, is so exhausting in a way that just driving for thirty minutes wouldn't have been for some reason. You know? Yeah. No. An hour. An hour. That is because of pure distance, but you're just going to be moving the whole time is also radically different than what you're suggesting, which is a 15 minute drive clogged by stop and go traffic. Yeah, uh, the, because the experience like the, the literal psychological experience of the drive is so different where you can actually enjoy driving if it is just like you going from one place to another. But the stop, go, stop, go, uh, that is this. That's terrible. This is like one of the the worst decision I made uh, when I lived in Los Angeles was saving a few hundred on rent and living during off peak hours. What was just 15 minutes further away from my office? No, no. And (laughs) if I didn't time, if I did not make an early exit from the office, if I basically wasn't walking out the door at like four. Mm-hmm. It was ninety minutes to get home, uh, for, like down down the freeway. It was it was that bad. Uh, if there was if traffic was light, it was fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, not not hard God. at all. But that was the most expensive. Like you know, I lived there lived there a year. Uh, I probably saved like three grand by making that choice, and it damn near destroyed my life. Because the thing is, like. If it is on average, if it is an hour on average away from work, those days when you do not get the average and it does not break your way and you're on the wrong side of it will be killers. And it will affect like every other aspect of your life because there's just less life mm-hmm. to have. Yeah. It, I, I think a commute ruins people. I, I hate commutes. I'm, I'm so anti-commute, which is specifically just because of my like. The combination of ADHD and narcolepsy is not a great one, let me fucking tell you. Which means that, like, you know, what is for most people, like, a totally fine commute is, like, basically a recipe for me never showing up to work on time. Uh, Like, ever. Um, Especially if I'm, like, living alone. Um, I I don't think I could do more than 30 minutes anymore. Even even on the subway, just because, like... it was it was havoc uh, and just led to me like becoming a significantly less effective person to work with. Yeah, um, I think like, you know, like it'd be different. For instance, I always envied people. Uh, I think it will sound weird to Californians when I say I always liked Caltrain, but I did compared to a lot of other commuter trains I've I've been on. Like Caltrain was not bad. And I always sort of envied friends who like lived near a Caltrain station and commuted by Caltrain into a place in the, in uh, like San Francisco or something that wasn't too far from the, the the terminal, and like those commutes can be quite long, but it's totally different than like I think a no transfer or one transfer like train ride commute is a very different proposition than the stop and go traffic. Uh, Patrick cited there, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah. the ability to just sort of like lean back, disengage from the trip, read, listen to stuff, watch stuff. That is a different, that is a different experience of time than mm-hmm. watching the taillights of the person ahead of you. Uh, mm-hmm. Like it's it, like, it's just a different, di- different, different feeling. 
That being said, in my process of like, how much do we want? Like, this is one reason we end up we we end up like st- we're staying put where we are right now. There was a part of there. There were there were moments where we would like sort of pull that mouse wheel back on Zillow and be like, you know, this wouldn't be so bad. What's what's forty five minutes of driving through? You know, what's frequently like nice com- nice countryside, nice 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 parts of the the Northeast. Well, and the answer is because when a lot of people are on those picturesque roads, they also suck. You can you can have a horrible traffic jam on a two lane road, a four lane road doesn't matter. But you like even there, it was not it was not easy to choose between like big place, big yard, some more privacy versus shitty commute, and especially in the time of like working remotely, it's maybe easier to make that bargain. But if you're going to be going in a lot and like multiple times a week or maybe even daily, you have to like clear that commute hurdle. Man, I think as you get above, I would I would be shooting for 20 minutes and the assumption that on a shitty day, the worst it's going to be is an hour. Because like if it's like the best it can be is about an hour, you're going to have a lot of miserable days. Yeah. All right. Well, that will uh, that will do it for this episode of Remap Radio. Uh, our theme music is Moments Pause by Two Mellow. You can check out his work on twomellowmakes.bandcamp.com. You can follow everything we do uh, at Remap Radio on Twitch, Blue Sky, Twitter, YouTube, and other platforms. Once again, we rely on our audience for support, and you can sign up to become a backer by going to remapradio.com and following the links and instructions you see there. The basic plan provides access to an ad-free version of this podcast and all the projects we carried over from Waypoint Plus, most of which have wrapped up or on hiatus, but hope you like sports. The foundation plan is still a work in progress where we're trying out new ideas and just discussing a lot of stuff uh, that we're really interested in. Uh, stay tuned for for more on that uh, in in the future. And hey, if you're looking for other ways to support us, please consider leaving a review on uh, the podcast platform of your choice. We especially appreciate those Apple reviews. Your support also lets us set set aside time for streaming. As I alluded to, Kato and I played Banished Vault and The Expanse on Twitch the other day. And uh, by the time you're listening to this, Patrick and I will have logged a lot of time on another GeForce stream and another Dance with the Wheel. Though I think some things are hitting GeForce uh, now this week that we might spend a little more time in and that might crowd out the wheel just just a little bit. Uh, But either way, Mm. we'll be back next week with another episode of Remap Radio. Uh, Wait, Kato, did System Shock go up? It will have been by the time this is out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hey. So on the on the basic plan and foundation foundation plan foundation tier, uh, our long awaited a podcast two years in the making <laughs> finally finally came out as Ren Kato Natalie and myself talked about the original System Shock and the remake. Uh, so so be sure and check that out. We'll talk to you again next week with with more Remap Radio. Until then, thanks so much for choosing to spend some of your time with us and fuck capitalism. Go home. <laughs>